Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. They will probably not return as starters. They will probably be back in limited capacity roles if they do return just based on the calendar and based on the amount of time it takes to ramp back up. However, you know, and while this is a very fluid situation, it depends on a lot of things. Having a little bit of Jack Flaherty back is better than having none of it, right? Mm -hmm. And if you have Dakota Hudson in as some relief and he's in some high leverage roles, you know, there's a chance that Dakota could piggyback. Maybe Jack starts and goes a few innings and Dakota piggybacks off that. But if the Cardinals are going to push all their chips in for this wild card spot and both arms are healthy, I would expect both of them back by the end of the season. And again, probably not in starter roles, but in roles nonetheless. Two difference makers waiting in the wings. It's like Charlie Sheen from Major League. Wild thing starts blasting at Bush Stadium, T-Bone. And Jack Flaherty comes out of the bullpen in the eighth. Dakota Hudson in the ninth. Are you in? I'm in. Probably won't happen. That's going to, oh. Probably won't happen. Well, but that kind of attitude. It's fun to dream. That, of course, is Katie Wu of The Athletic, who joins us weekly here on BKM Ferrario from this past Monday, talking about Jack Flaherty and Dakota Hudson. Welcome in. Happy Friday. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. No BK today. He had some personal things to take care of. He'll be back with us on Monday. But you know what? Best case scenario, you get a little T-bone and Ferrario action. Ah, BK you get company, company of BK. No it's just company here on 101 ESPN. Cardinals get set to open up the series against the Padres tonight. The biggest series of the season. Wait, I thought well, the last that... one usually was and then the one before that. But I think we can all agree that that one actually falls into play here. Not often have we been able to say this. The winner of this series will hold the second wild card spot. So it is the biggest <laughs> series of the year. T-Bone is on board with it. They're a half game up. The Cardinals, that is, on the San Diego Padres. They've won five in a row. The Padres have won two in a row. So you're going to get one heck of a matchup out at Bush Stadium this weekend. But let's start where Katie Wu left off there on the Jack Flaherty, Dakota Hudson. They're not going to be in this series this weekend. We hope to find out more from John Moselock today at the ballpark. Uh, Usually addresses the media before the start of a new series. Jack Flaherty was slated to throw off of the mound yesterday, a bullpen session. Dakota Hudson, he has a rehab start this 
evening or this is on Sunday his rehab start? This evening will be his rehab this start. This evening is a rehab start. His last rehab start was in Springfield this past Sunday. 57 pitches, 36 of those were strikes. Went five innings, one earned run, two walks, three strikeouts. In all honesty, Dakota Hudson seems a lot more likely to return this season than Jack Flaherty because we just haven't heard anything from Jack Flaherty. But let's go on the optimism side because we're both positive about this Cardinals team, T-Bone. Let's look at the scenario and say Jack Flaherty, Dakota Hudson will be available for you for the wild card game. That, I know, got real excited. That truly is an X factor for this team that I don't think a lot of people on the outside are talking about. And I understand the matchup seems ridiculous against the Dodgers. The Giants seem to be the one that everyone wants to perform against. But if you told a Cardinals fan that, hey, you're going to have this team playing red hot right now down the stretch in a one game wild card, let's say against Max Scherzer. But you're also going to have Dakota Hudson and Jack Flaherty available. In my opinion, T-Bone, that changes everything. I agree with you. It changes everything because now you go from a bullpen that has five really good arms in Garcia, McFarlane, Reyes, Cabrera, Gallegos. And now we can add in guys that are normally starters that aren't built up to start, but we can throw them in the pin if they're healthy. Jack Flaherty and Dakota Hudson. I mean, you've got seven solid bullpen arms. Oh, yeah, and you might be starting Adam Wainwright in that game. I I think if these guys are able to come back and be healthy and come out of the pen, and again, that's a big if. We don't don't know yet. Like you said, we'll hear more on Jack's prior recovery today once uh, Schilt and Mo address the media, but... I expect that we will see Dakota Hudson before this year ends. I think it was according to Jim Hayes. He reported last night possibly that they may even look to even give him just a a quick two-inning start against the Cubs. They have a doubleheader coming up against them, so it's possible we see him. They are two big X factors because, and the reason I think of it too, is not only can they piggyback one another if they're coming out of the pin, but they could do that as kind of a combo start. Remember when Michaelis and Flaherty were getting ready to come back? There was We heard, I think it was Schilt said it. I don't think it was Mo. I think it was Schilt said We've discussed the idea of piggybacking these two together. Well, imagine going into a playoff series, or even if it is the wild card game, but you have a rotation of Wayno, Lester, and then that th- three, four starters were the big question mark is if you get past the wild card game, maybe that three, four, maybe you have Hap for one game, and then the other one you go Flaherty, Hudson, piggyback, and then make it a bullpen game after that. See, that's why I think it's huge if you can have both of those guys healthy. And look, I'm under the assumption that Jack Flaherty will not be a starter for you if he returns because the Cardinals have said that they want to be safe in their usage of him this season because, look, you got three more years of control with Jack Flaherty, and he's going to be a big piece if this team wants to make a run in the next couple of seasons. If you have them available, though, I think you absolutely have to have multiple guys in your bullpen who can come in in an instant notice notice and take over because we don't know what John Lester is going to be. He's been great in the month of September, but we've also seen the worst of John Lester. And if John Lester, if he blows up in the second inning of a playoff game in the NLDS, well, you can't just say, well, we're going to stick through this and see if he can get out of this jam like we've seen in the past. You got to go to somebody. And in your bullpen right now, T-Bone, you don't have a lot of guys that you can say, yep, ready to go to them with two on and one out in the second inning because our starter's struggling. Are you going to go to Ponce there? I don't think so. Are you going to go to KK? Maybe, but we don't really know what KK is. We've only seen him a couple of times. That's where Dakota Hudson and Jack Flaherty comes in. I don't see them used in late inning roles out of the bullpen. I don't see them used as a starter and said, hey, you're going to get one inning. I see them as insurance for J-Hap and John Lester. So if they don't get through the second inning, 
Well, then, boom, you got two guys to go to that you know can carry you into your bullpen situation with the rest of your guys who you feel comfortable with. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. And, and you know, these guys coming back, it just kind of adds a little bit. I think we talked about when Michaelis and Flaherty were getting ready to come back that first time of it kind of gives you a little bit of an extra energy, extra feel to things. Because everybody thought Hudson was going to be out for the whole year. And now Jack Flaherty, we didn't know what his condition was going to be. Oh, he had the second shoulder injury. Well, he looks like he could possibly come back. So it would add a little bit of vibes to that locker room for these guys. And not many teams have reinforcements coming like this heading into a playoff push. I mean, you're talking about possibly having your ace come back from an injury. Sure, he's not going to be in the rotation because he's not going to be able to get built back up. He's been out for three weeks. But it's better than not having him. I mean, you're going to have him in the pen that's available. I just hope the one thing I hope that doesn't occur is that this doesn't become like a Michael Walker situation in 2013 where it's a good, good comp where now the positive is that the Cardinals, they have the minor league. So if they if Flaherty is able to go on a minor league rehab assignment, I'd feel a lot better about it. I don't know if he's going to be able to, but if you can, that would be huge. So he can go and pitch to some minor leaguers, get a feel for it back rather than all right, welcome back. We're in the wild card game. Jack, you're in the bullpen. Yeah, I'm looking more like a 2011 Lance Lynn, how you used him. And I know he didn't come off of an injury like Michael Waka did, but it's going to come down to how you manage your bullpen. Some people have liked the way it's gone this season. Some people have not. Actually, I think a lot of people have not liked the way that this bullpen has been managed this season. So again, Dakota Hudson's got a rehab start tonight. It's in Memphis. So look, he's gone through the minor leagues and the levels. So you would imagine that that next start or appearance would be with the majors but you have to wait to find out what memphis looks like later on tonight so i think we all can agree that you feel good about your starting pitching adam wainwright john lester jay hap those would be the guys if you get into an nlds obviously wayno's the one that's going to be going for a wild card game but what about the big three from your bullpen and T-Bone, you brought this one up to me, and I think it's a really interesting question and text us air comfort service text line 65780 your thoughts as well Are you starting to trust the big three a little bit more? Are you starting to believe in Latino heat out of the bullpen? They've been moved to different roles. Alex Reyes no longer is your closer. He kind of seems to be that long man where you get two innings out of him, but he'll also come in in a jam and find a way to get you through that. Gallego seems to be the closer as of late. So far this month in September, they've given up a total of seven earned runs. Five of them have come from Gallegos, two from Reyes, and Henesis Cabrera has actually been the lights out one. Seven innings, he's had eight Ks, two walks, and zero earned runs. So, Latino Heat, I think the bullpen's another interesting element to be discussing of the confidence level. For me, starting to trust them a lot more. Alex Reyes doesn't look like the guy that looked broken when he came out of the bullpen in the midst of that. Am I a closer? Am I not a closer? Gallego still gives me the tight butt cheeks a little bit, T-Bone, when he's on the mound in a closing situation, most notably that Mets series or the Mets game that he was closing out and things got out of hand. But all three of them, if you're talking to me in a playoff game, I feel pretty comfortable with all three of these guys coming in in a big moment. Yeah, I'm feeling good about them again, too. I mean, you look back at their numbers in August, and they were opponents were hitting 388 against the three of them combined. So not great. But you look at them now, and they are pitching better. I still think Giovanni Gallegos is... I don't think he's back to what he was early in the year, but I think he's close. And you mentioned he gave up the five earned runs, but opponents aren't hitting him as well. Uh, Like you look at the Mets series, he gave up the one hit and there was a home run. And then that just adds to that ERA. But I'm with you. I I think the big three are getting back or the original big three. I don't know. Can we still call them the big three? I mean, Ray's got the big three. Nobody else is being used in those 
scenarios. Okay. I mean, I guess I think a lot of people would prefer Luis Garcia to be in the big three, but we hey, don't have a big four. Don't yell at us. We got a big six in our circle of trust. That is We've true. We've thrown everyone in there. Not Ponce. And Ponce. I mean everyone. Not Ponce. Ponce isn't going to be on this team in or a couple Justin of days. Miller or Justin Miller. I don't Miller. even. Justin Miller is kind of the, uh, you're here for me. Yeah, I guess it is kind of his role right now. But I do feel better about the big three. And I think I said it after the Brave series, which we started to kind of see this little decline from the big three when they had the big blow-up innings against them. I said the big three at that time, and this was early August, cannot have hiccups for this Cardinals team to make the playoffs or make a playoff run. And I still believe that. Even though Reyes has been moved from the closer's role and now he's more of like a fifth, sixth inning guy, maybe he can give you two innings, he has to pitch well for this Cardinals team to be as deep as they are in that bullpen and for you to really trust the bullpen as a whole sure there are seven guys that are in our circle of trust right now but i honestly believe if one of the big three were to struggle whether it be down the stretch or in the playoffs i still see the cardinals not having success so even though they do not have the same roles they had back in august all three of them are very pivotal for this team gallegos is the interesting one because as much as i feel comfortable with him out there i don't feel comfortable with him out there in the closing situation like, I'm fine with him to come in in a big moment, but I don't know if I'm giving him the ball in our closer situation. Like, let's say you're up 3-2, and it's the bottom of the ninth against the Dodgers. I don't know if I'm comfortable going to Gallegos. I don't know if I'm comfortable going back to Reyes, which leaves one guy for me. TJ McFarlane. No, although he, he makes me a little comfortable. I, I think I might be considering Luis Garcia in a closer role. And I know that sounds crazy to people because they're like, well, I've been considering this for the last couple of weeks. I don't think Mike Schilt is considering it because Gallegos has, quote unquote, got the job done. But I think the closer situation is something that might still need to be looked at from now until the end of the regular season. And I don't expect that to change because Gallegos, again, has gotten the job done. Well, how many saves has he gotten in September? I want to say it's at least five or six that he has gotten so far since he's taken over that role. But as I mentioned, you got five earned runs in six and two-thirds innings through September. I think I'd be considering what to do with the closer spot. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair argument. And I, I don't see the Cardinals and Mike Schilt making a move until we see two or three blown saves in a row. I think Guy Eagles is getting back to his form, though. And, that, and that's why I, I have confidence with him in the closer spot. Yeah, I, I think he's looked more effective than what he did in August. In August, I mean, everybody was hitting him. And so far, though he has given up the five runs, opponents hitting 208 against him. You know, the part about him, though, is it's not the walks like we've seen in the past or that you've seen from Reyes or Cabrera. It's more so like when somebody gets a hit off him, it's going out of the ballpark. Hit, and it's usually very hard. Well, it, it gives me shades of you remember the year after Miles won or was in the Cy Young consideration, and it seemed like every time he took the mound, he would be good, but the pitches he threw were always home runs. So it would be a 5 3 ball game, but three runs would be because of home runs off of Michaelis. That's how I feel about Gallegos right now. And if you're taking on the Dodgers or the Giants in that wild card game, T Bone, there's a lot of power hitters in those lineups that with Giovanni starts to stress me out a little bit more yeah and you know i i agree with you with luis garcia and he has a i think he has the longest scoreless inning streak in major league baseball right now so i understand wanting to turn him for the closer spot but right now i still have faith in giovanni gallegos and with that being said i don't know if i have a specific role for luis garcia and what i mean by that is He's a high leverage guy. I know that much, but I'm not going to sit here and say, all right, Luis Garcia is my seventh inning guy or Luis Garcia is my eighth inning guy. Right now, I think Luis Garcia is 
that highest leverage, the game is on the line moment to where I say, yeah. all right, we're up one nothing. It's the seventh inning. Maybe a guy gets on base. Now I need to turn to Luis Garcia. I, I think his role should be the most flexible of everyone in the pin just because he's been so filthy for the last 20-some-plus innings and not giving up any earned runs. tie it back into where we started, I think that's where Hudson and Flaherty can make that a bigger area for this team rather than just one specific guy. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario. It's BK and Ferrario. No BK with us today. It is 11.15. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Talked about the big three. We all know about the MV3 that the Cardinals have right now, T-Bone. We have Larry MV3. Walker. No, no Larry Walker, unfortunately. But Rolling? the Cardinals have some high-powered offense in their starters role. But there are a couple of others that might need to take that next step in the next coming weeks for this team to be a legit threat for a wild-card game. We'll dive into that next year on BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Back to BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Smart House Heating and Cooling on 101 ESPN. Well, the offense has been doing what the offense needs to do, right? Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill. That's the MV3 you're talking That's about. That's the MV3 that I, I was going after. What did we you think going. I was thinking? Bader, Newt Barr, and Molina? Yeah, why not? That's true. I was thinking that as well. But look, honestly, in a whole, offense has been really good in the month of September. And you break it down, you know, Paul Goldschmidt, a 306 batting average and over a thousand OPS. Same with Tyler O'Neill. He's got five home runs and 11 RBIs at that time. Nolan Arenado, a 940 OPS. Yachty with an 881 OPS. But there are two guys that you look at and look, maybe this is just us being a little too selfish as Cardinals fans because we have been getting a lot better of offense than what we got in June. And you can't deny that, T-Bone. That's true. June was brutal. We've exceeded our three-run limit. (laughs) That's very true. Usually when they score 11 runs in one game, the next game they don't score a run. But they haven't been doing that. They didn't score a run yesterday. They got a win yesterday, though. Jerk. If you're just listening, we're joking around. There was an off day yesterday. It was a victory for the Cardinals, in my opinion. Anyway, there's two guys in this lineup that needs to find a little bit more offense to take this next step. It's Tommy Edmond and it's Dylan Carlson. Tommy Edmond had a really rough go against the New York Mets. And I heard Jim Edmond say it on the broadcast, like he's going to be the happiest one to get out of City Field of anybody on that Cardinals team. I think he had like, what, seven or eight strikeouts in those three games against the Mets. Yeah, It was rough for him at the top. And Tommy Edmond had been much better as of late. Same with Dylan Carlson. So some of the numbers here, Edmond, a 258 batting average, which looks good, but only four doubles compared to what we have seen a lot from Tommy Edmond in the month of September, a 290 on base percentage and a 364 slug. Dylan Carlson, 235 batting average, no home runs, 16 strikeouts and 51 at-bats, and you got a 294 slug. These are two pivotal pieces in your lineup because we're talking about your leadoff hitter and we're talking about your five or six hole hitter. Wherever Yachty kind of falls into that play, you need your one through six to be solid, and there are two guys that have to find a way to step up, T-Bone. Yeah, and, and the big reason for Edmund is because it gives you kind of that quick punch in the mouth right off the top of the game, whether it's top first, bottom of the first, because Tommy extra base hit Edmund. No, it's Tommy two bags. I will not allow that when BK's not here. 
But anyways, Tommy Edmond had been a double machine for the Cardinals. And then you get Paul Goldschmidt, who's just had an incredible last three to four months for the Cardinals. And if you look at Goldie's numbers in the month of September, he's only got seven RBIs. And at least a minimum four of those are coming from home runs because he's got four homers. So what does that tell me? That tells me Edmond's not getting on base in front of him. And of course, the bottom of the order is probably not turning things over for him as well. But... If Tommy Edmond gets back to where he was doing, where he went on that stretch where he got player of the week in, what was that, the last week of August, if I'm not mistaken? I mean, you could see then how it just helped the offense because he starts off the game when he usually gets on. It's because it's usually from a double. And then you have Goldie that's right there. So you have the leadoff guy get on, and now you're turning to the heart of the order in Goldie, O'Neal, and Arnato. It's a dangerous combination. And the reason I want to see Carlson get back to where he's going, too, is because he's kind of that, like, the... I don't even know how to describe it. He's that six-hole hitter. He's kind of that, what we talk about, where you want one through six in your lineup needs to be solid in the National League. Right now, you're getting pretty good production two through five. You're missing that top-of-the-order guy, which is Tommy Edmond, and you're missing that bottom part of your six, which is Dylan Carlson right now. Honestly, what you need from Dylan Carlson is you need him to outperform Yachty as of late. And I know that seems absurd to say because Yachty has had his ups and downs this season, but Yachty in the month of September deserves every opportunity he's getting in the number five slot. As I mentioned, he's got a 286 batting average, three home runs, nine RBIs, a 548 slug, and an 881 OPS. He deserves every opportunity you've been giving him in that five spot. Well, by the way, he's hitting really well with runners in scoring position. But what makes this team a team that can get past the wild card or a team that will get beat in a wild card comes down to that one player right there. It comes into that five, six position because if Dylan Carlson's outperforming Yachty or Molina, he's your five hole hitter. Yachty's your six hole hitter. And if you're telling me Edmundo Sosa is hitting seventh for how good he has been as of late, that's a dangerous lineup right now. And again, I know this sounds selfish because we're talking about this offense and from the six, three, six, I can't believe you guys are still complaining about the offense. There's no complaining here, but what I do think needs to be addressed is, is I need, you need to get a little bit more presence from the top and the middle of that batting order to help Paul Goldschmidt and Tyler O'Neill and Nolan Arenado. Tommy Edmond is a big threat when he gets on base. With the speed he has and the power he has to hit a double and be in scoring position before Paul Goldschmidt even steps to the plate, that puts a lot of pressure on the opposition in terms of pitching and defense, which, lo and behold, is going to cause some errors. So those are the two guys that I'm really looking at for this series against the Padres. And more so than anything, they're at home. And Tommy had been playing really well at home in the last few weeks. Yeah, and I'm with you 100%. It's not so much that we're we're upset with the offense because the offense has been really good of late. I mean, they scored, I don't remember what the number was, 30-some runs in that Mets series in a three-game set. I mean, the offense has been better, but for this team to kind of take that next step, in my opinion, it's going to come down to guys like Tommy Edmond and Dylan Carlson getting back on. And, and you know, I think part of the... Maybe it's a little tinfoil here, but part of, to me. part of my concern of the Dylan Carlson, if you want to even call it struggles because he's been fine, is the wrist injury. Let's not forget, he went on the I.O. with the wrist injury. Ever since then, he's come back. He just hasn't looked the same. 237 batting average. Before that, before the wrist injury, he was hitting about 250, 260. OPS is down before that, and so is his slug. He's only got one home run in his last 21 games. And I, I just think if he doesn't have the power, and again, I'm... I'm speculating if the wrist isn't 100% healed, then I have some concerns about Dylan Carlson for the stretch run for the Cardinals because, again, you have a one through six lineup and then you have Sosa hitting seventh. That's one of the deep. It doesn't compare to the Dodgers lineup, but it is 
right up there with one of the deepest lineups in, in Major League Baseball and in the National League, in my opinion. If those guys are hitting, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be crazy enough to say that. Well, I am crazy enough to say that they're comparable to the Giants' offense. If you're one, if if these two players are performing, I would put them on a very similar level in terms of offense with the San Francisco Giants. And I get it. San Francisco has had some really good offense this season. 728 runs scored, 547 runs allowed. They got a plus 81 run differential. But that's also compared to the Cardinals. It's been the Cardinals without with guys slumping a lot individually where you've only had one or two guys that are performing. If you got one through six, I'd go into a series against San Francisco. I'm with you. I'm not going to put it anywhere near the Dodgers offense, but I would put it next to the San Francisco offense. Yeah, I, I think I'm there too. I mean, maybe not. I would put it maybe behind San Francisco's offense, maybe just a little bit, but you feel pretty comf- comfortable in it. We talked about this a ton in the off season was who are going to be those guys that step up. If you can get a one through six solid lineup. And we talked about at the time, we talked about Tommy Edmund at the top, Carlson in the two hole, Goldie Arnato, and then DeYoung and O'Neal. So things have changed a little bit. O'Neal's there. DeYoung's kind of slid out of that spot. But the one through six in the order, that's just huge for the Cardinals. And, I mean, it's going to be such a difference maker because we're seeing the two, three, four kind of click together. We just need those little extra pieces to come along with it. And this offense will take – they're good now. Well, if all six of those guys are hitting at the same time, it's going to be unbelievable to watch. I got to get to Ben Heisler, but I did want to touch on this um, from the 618. For the offense, they need bench players to have good at bats. Carpenter comes up every or first every time and strikes out. They need quality pinch hits. And T-Bone, you know, we've done a lot of 2011 comparables, and rightfully so, because this team has the 2011 10-year celebration this weekend at Bush Stadium. But you said one player is going to make the difference from the comps with this team to the 2011 team. Who was it? I, I The biggest thing for me with that comp from the 11 team, and BK brought this up yesterday, and I kind of said it too, is the, this team, the bench doesn't have an Alan Craig guy that's going to come up and make a difference for you. Because let's not forget, Alan Craig was not a bench. He was on the bench for the Cardinals because you had Holiday, Jay, and Berkman in your outfield pool holes was at first base. And I'm with the texture. This be- this bench is going to have to step up for the Cardinals down the stretch and if they're going to make a deep playoff run. Jose Rondon's been pretty good. You've got Lars Newtbar there. He's been struggling of late. Matt Carpenter's on the bench, and I don't think he's had a hit since, what is it, like mid-August, if I'm not mistaken. Paul DeYoung has had his struggles off the bench. Someone's going to have to step up on the bench, whether that's Carpenter, DeYoung. Maybe it is Lars Newtbar breaks out of his slump. But for this Cardinals team to really go on a run, they have to have that one bench bat that you fear. You look at the Dodgers. Who's the guy they're going to bring up with a left-handed pitcher? Everybody. It's Albert. Okay, well, that's fair. Everybody. But Albert Pujols is that guy that they'll turn to, and you're afraid to face him. The Cardinals need somebody that's going to scare opponents when he comes off the bench and comes up in a big situation. Yeah, it's a big ask, too, because if you look at what Alan Craig did in, did in 2011, I mean, he was a 315 hitter and a 917 OPS, 11 home runs and 40 RBIs, and that was 47 games started. But I'm looking at the uh, the pinch hitter role that he performed in, and this is just regular season. I don't have the postseason numbers in front of me, but a 324 batting average, a 920 OPS, two home runs and 10 RBIs. I hope Lars Newpark can get there. I don't think Matt Carpenter can be that unless there is some devil magic still in there. Um, but you're right. You need a scary bench, and the Cardinals have not had a scary bench at all this season. I, I think the guy that will have to do it, I think Newpark can. He could be a great left-handed one. The guy that you need from the right side is Paul DeYoung. And I know that we've said that all season long, 
but maybe this is the maybe this is what kind of gets Paul DeYoung going back in the right direction. Maybe he can come up with a couple of uh, quality at bats in tough situations or late situations, and you need a clutch at bat. Maybe Paul DeYoung's that guy can do it, and I think that would be huge for the Cardinals. From the three one four, great argument, guys. If everyone hits well, this offense would be great. Well, thank you. We try our hey, best. That took a lot of data to dive into last night for us to come up with that take. So you are welcome, 314. I just quoted Jeff Albert. He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. Let's switch to a little football. Did you pick the Reds or the uh, Washington football team last night? I did. I want to know this week. Sounds like we are super smart. Well, here's a guy who's super smart, Benny Heisler. He was with us every week of Bet Sided. He's going to join us to uh, talk a little weekend college football and NFL football next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Comfort Service text line is 65780. We'll get to your questions coming up in our next segment, about 10, 15 minutes or so. But now let's try and win you some money this weekend as we welcome in who joins us every week here on BKN Ferrario. He's our favorite Ben Heisler of BetSided, managing editor over there. You can follow him on Twitter at Benny Heis. Ben, no BK today. I think he had to take a day off because he's ashamed of his uh, betting picks in football because my guy went 0-3 this past week, Benny. Now he's got to get his chest waxed on air next week. That's, first of all, that's amazing. Uh, so congratulations to uh, to the future Mrs. BK for getting to enjoy whatever that experience is, is going to be like for, for a little bit later on leading up to uh, – leading up to their big day. But I, I have to tell you, it was a weird and wild week one. And we kind of talked about this a little bit on the show last week, that wild things can happen, that you still have a lot of trends that you're left to figure out. But underdogs went nine and seven straight up in week one. And then they went 12 and four against the spread. So I think what's going to be fascinating about this week is you already have three games with double digit favorites once again, and the public is already starting to back them. So I, I think what we're going to have to try and figure out is whether or not this is going to be the week where you have all the betters getting on board the underdogs this week and then the favorites dominate or whether it's just going to be that type of season in the NFL where it already is tough enough to predict, but now underdogs are probably going to start winning at a higher clip. We're just not sure. Yeah, Ben, I got to tell you, man, the over-unders actually messed me up this past week as well. I think I did like four over-under picks. Like I took the over in the Houston Tech or the under in the Houston Jacksonville game because I thought both of those offenses were terrible. And of course they go out and they put the over and I took the over in the Philly Atlanta game. And I didn't understand that Atlanta wasn't going to score any points against Philly. It really was a strange week one. It certainly was, and I mean, there were a couple games that kind of played out sort of the way that you anticipated, like you know, the Rams and the Bears. We kind of knew that Chicago would be completely outmatched in that game uh, from start to finish, so that was one of the easier ones to predict. But, I mean, think about what we saw from you know, Baltimore. That was supposed to be one of the, the top defenses coming into the league, and the Raiders, especially you know, considering the state of their offensive line was able to hold together. Uh, Carr made some deep passes down the field. They ended up winning that game somehow twice. So you're right. From a, from a total perspective, I think that was even tougher to gauge in week one. Uh, I think moving forward, it'll be a little bit easier. We'll start to, you know, they, they say a lot of times, you know, guys are always going to come back to what it says on the back of their card. I think for a lot of these teams, that'll start to work its way towards the, the remainder of the season, but uh, just a wild week to kick things off. 
And as you mentioned, the Raiders, I was in Las Vegas and saw them beat Baltimore on the Monday night opener. And, I, and he covered on his bet, Heiss. I did. That was fantastic, too. So it was multi-win <laughs> for me. And, and I saw the Raiders' first half, and I said, that ah, car doesn't look great. And then he goes out, and he threw for the most yards in the second half in the NFL in week one. And they're taking on a good defensive team in the Steelers, and the Steelers are favored in that one. What what should I be looking at in this game? Should I be taking the Steelers, or should I be back in the Raiders and be buying into Carr's second half? It's a really tough game and probably one of the ones that I'm likely staying away from because I, I don't think the Raiders are particularly good. I, I think they were able to take advantage uh, of the matchup and Baltimore being a, a little bit rusty and some poor decision-making on the defensive side for, for blitzing when they did. I, I, just, they don't, I, I think they didn't expect the Raiders' offensive line to be prepared for it, and if there's anything that Baltimore has done consistently over the course of the last several years uh, is blitz the quarterback. And, and also, you know, two costly fumbles from Lamar Jackson uh, led there. So I, I think the public uh, might not be as convinced about the Raiders as they are about the Steelers. And remember, the Steelers team, if we're talking about bad offensive lines, uh, they <laughs> were projected to be the second worst offensive line via pro football focus entering the start of the season. So um, that's probably a stay away. I, I feel like if I had to, to make a pick, I'd probably still lean Pittsburgh considering that they're at home. Um, and, and again, it's just a, a level of comfort there for, for Big Ben consistently over the course of his career as opposed to on the road. But um, you know, anytime you're laying about five, five and a half points, and I don't think either of these two teams are particularly good. I, I do know Pittsburgh's defense is terrific and they're not going to make a lot of the same mistakes that Baltimore did. So I think for that reason, I'd probably lean towards the Steelers, but uh, it does feel like an awful lot of points to be able to lay, considering that I don't think both of these teams are particularly good. We're talking with Ben Heisler, managing editor for Bet Sided. You can follow him on Twitter. Be sure to follow him on Twitter because you get all your betting advice for college and NFL. He's at Benny Heis, H-E-I-S. Ben, the one game that I think is going to confuse everybody this week on the betting side, on the pick side, if you're in a survivor pool, it's the Cowboys versus the Chargers. I think they said that this is a 50-50 shot for both teams. I give the slide light edge to Dallas after I saw that offense in week one, but now learning that they might be out with or without their front two defensemen in Gregory and Lawrence, where are you citing on this one between these two teams? I think if you can get the Cowboys at plus three and a half on the road, I, I like Dallas. I think if it's anything that's three or less, I'm probably leaning towards the Chargers. I, remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago that odds makers are extremely bullish on Justin Herbert as an MVP candidate this year. And, and when a lot of odds makers are setting lines that low, it tells you that a lot of sharp money has come in and they're buying the hype for somebody that set NFL rookie records a season ago. So they're going to have their way with Dallas's defense. I know that bringing in Dan Quinn is going to be an upgrade from Mike Nolan from a season ago. And still a lot of times for first time defensive coordinators, it takes a few weeks to get adjusted. So from the Chargers standpoint, they're still healthy. Mike Williams was a big part of the game plan last week. Keenan Allen should just explode in the middle of the field against Dallas. So I like the Chargers to be able to move the ball. And from the Cowboys' perspective, this is an opportunity for them to get back to the Zeke Elliott of old. I think the Chargers, what you saw uh, in that game last week, they weren't great at stopping the run. Made a couple of big plays on third down, be able to hang on and get the win. Uh, and the other thing, too, is that their new head coach, Brandon Staley, was in charge of the number one defense in the NFL a season ago with the Los Angeles Rams. Now, they're not there yet, but I think they're going to be a very formidable defensive unit as the season goes on. And I think they're going to try and do the opposite 
of what you saw Tampa Bay do, which is have Dak Prescott throw the ball upwards of 50-plus times. I think they're going to encourage Dallas to run and not allow a lot of those big plays to happen. So I, I think if I'm looking at this game, it's going to be close. It's going to be back and forth. But I, I don't anticipate it being this monster high-scoring affair that everybody is expecting. I would probably lean on the under of 55 and a half here um, because I, I think it's just going to be a little bit more defensive-oriented than I think people would anticipate. Do you anticipate Zeke to have a big week? Because I know a lot of fantasy owners are frustrated with him, and he was outspoken about it a couple of days ago after practice, saying if you didn't watch or if you're talking about me having a bad week, you didn't watch the game. I don't know if I necessarily agree with Zeke there. Like he wasn't good, but it's also against the toughest team in the NFL to run the football. It's like, you just don't run well on Tampa Bay unless they're completely disinterested. That's what they did so well a season ago. So I, I think this week is going to be a little bit different. Zeke was certainly a lot more involved. And let's also not forget, you know, there were 12 additional running plays that were called in week one that Dak Prescott checked out of and went to a passing play because he knew you can't run on Tampa Bay. So for anybody that's playing fantasy this week and is thinking, oh, Mike Davis might be another potential option, I would be incredibly concerned. He might catch some passes for you uh, like he did in Carolina, but this is just not a matchup where even if you have some of the best running backs in the league, you probably want to consider sitting them against Tampa Bay. So he'll be more involved this week. I think it's clearly important that they get him featured a little bit further. And again, that's going to take some time off the clock. They're going to try and keep some longer sustained drives. They just didn't have the ability to do that last week. Hi, I'm into Daily Fantasy, and I'm wondering this week, who's maybe someone that's flying under the radar that you could see having a big week? Uh, there's some really intriguing games, and I, and I think maybe somebody like Mike Evans could be a really fascinating play just because everybody was so down. And I, In fact, if you're going sort of to this angle, I love playing the guys that everybody was down on from the following week because, you know, the law of variance and, and – a lot of averages is they're going to bounce back. So somebody like Mike Evans in just a, a very advantageous spot against the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, he still might be a little bit too pricey for some people considering his lack of output from, from last week. You know, if you're playing on DraftKings, he's $6,100. So I, I think somebody like Evans uh, is in a terrific spot. Um, I, I think if you're going sort of a little bit further down the list and trying to determine uh, a couple other guys that you might be able to, to have some, some luck with, um, you know, I think Tyler Higby is an intriguing spot against the Colts uh, for the for the L.A. Rams. If you're going a little bit further, uh, Cole Beasley was targeted several times for Buffalo. That's going to be a bounce back win for them. Uh, and if you're looking for someone that's just super duper cheap in a game that they should be flat out dominant win, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones uh, of the Cleveland Browns, especially with no Odell Beckham, he's the bare bones minimum price over at DraftKings. And I think that's somebody that I think, uh, considering that he played 47 out of 59 snaps. He only had one target last week, but uh, I, I think this is a better opportunity for him to really get himself going. He was had rave reviews over the course of training camp this year. Ben Heisler, we always love the inside, buddy. Thank you so much for taking some time weekly with us. And again, be sure to follow him on Twitter at Benny Heis. Check out his work over at BetSided. Ben, have a great weekend, my man, and we'll talk to you next Thursday. Have an outstanding weekend, gentlemen. Hope all of your bets will hit. We'll send, we'll send you a video of BK getting his chest waxed on Monday, too. Don't you worry yes, about that. He, and he has to yell the, the Steve Carell, ah, Kelly Clarkson. Oh, yeah, we've already happens. told him that, buddy. We're going to make sure that he does that. Thanks a lot, Heiss. See you guys. There you go. Ben Heisler with us here weekly doing a little college and NFL picks. Tanner Hendrickson, Alex Ferrario, Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. Questions and answers is next here on 101 ESPN. 
you've got questions, we may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Jim Duquette, former Major League Baseball general manager, coming up with us in about 10 minutes or so. Also, Jason Mott joining us at 1230 later on today to talk about that 2011 10-year anniversary celebration this weekend. So make sure you stay tuned here to BK and Ferrario. No BK this afternoon. He'll be back with us on Monday. Tanner Hendricks and Alex Ferrario. 65780 is our Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this one. I feel like it's the question we've been asked so many times over the last few weeks, T-Bomb. Question from the 217, would you rather face the Dodgers or the Giants in the wild card? In the wild card game, I think I would rather face the Dodgers, mostly just because I think I stand up better in the best of five if I can get past the Dodgers and I go against the San Francisco Giants, and I get it. It's, <laughs> they're going to be able to kind of build the rotation to where they can get Scherzer to pitch in the wild card game. The Cardinals may not be able to set up Adam Wainwright for that in case they have to win. Maybe it's on the final day. So things may not stack up in your odds, but I would rather face the Dodgers because if I can beat them, I feel really good about taking on the Giants in the best of five series. I guess my question to the texter and to people who have this question is, what do you want? Do you just want to get to a wild card or do you want a shot at a NLCS or a World Series? Because if you just want to get to a wild card game, I think your best bet is taking on the Dodgers or taking on. Um, hold on. You want to get to I'm confusing myself here. You okay. Over if, there, buddy? I know mental combustion here. If you want to, if you want to advance to the NLDS, to the NLDS, your best chance is against the Giants in a wild card game. But if you want a chance to advance to the NLCS, your best shot is going against the Dodgers in the wildcard game. Because if you want to find a way to get to the championship series, you're you're going to struggle against the Dodgers in the best of five. I don't think you'll struggle against the Giants in the best of five. I mean, we remember the two series that you played against that team. I mean, you pretty much owned them. Now, look, if you just want to get to a wild card and advance to the NLDS then yeah, I mean, it would make a lot of sense to deal with Kevin Gossman in that wildcard game. I mean, I think he had a four ERA. I think, yeah, he had a four ERA against the Cardinals in the times that he faced off against them. So like the Cardinals had some success against Gossman. So I I think for me, I'm sticking with the fact that I'd rather face the Dodgers in a wildcard game where anything can happen, like we've talked about, where I know Adam Wainwright's on the mound and then go in the best of five against the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I I just I know for a fact since we are four and two against the Giants, it makes <laughs> it's hard to say it makes sense, but it makes sense if you want to make that deep postseason run for everything to play out in the right direction for you. You'd want to take on the Dodgers first, then the Giants, then whoever the heck I'm assuming to be the Brewers, then the Brewers, and then so on and so forth. Yeah, I, I just I, I feel like if you can get past the Dodgers in a one game wild card, you're gonna have an easier schedule to the NLCS. But look, I mean, if you want to get past the wild card, I think your only option is to take on the San Francisco this, this Giants. This is a good point from the 636. Alex, there should be no drinking on the job. It's a very good point because I honestly forgot where I was there for a couple of moments. Uh, from the 618, both healthy. Are you starting Flaherty or Wainwright in the wild card game? It's got to be Wainwright. And, and the reason I say that is because even if Flaherty's healthy, he's not built up. Yeah. He's it, been out three weeks. Who knows when he's going to come back? He may not even come back. So 
To me, you have to start Adam Wainwright because he's been your ace. Jack Flaherty, if he returns, he's going to be out of the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, I'm under the assumption they're asking, like, both are healthy and you know that both can go the distance. I honestly think I still would go to Adam Wainwright in the wildcard game because Adam Wainwright knows what the stakes are in a wildcard game to get to the playoffs. You know he would be lights out. And I'm not saying Jack Flaherty wouldn't either, but I think the best case scenario for you would be to have Wayno in the wild card and then know that Jack Flaherty's ready for game number one. Because then you got what Wayno in game three. Figure out what game two would be. You'd set yourself up for a Flaherty Wayno game six, game seven. So unfortunately, they don't have that. But you're right, T Bone. The way you go now is Adam Wainwright has to be your starter in that wild card game. Uh, from the six one eight, who has a better chance of scoring thirty this year? You'll like this, um, T Bone. Tarasenko. Or Jordan Cairo. Well, we all know that Cairo is going to be greater than Vladimir Tarasenko. Well, you think Jordan Cairo will be better than Vladimir Tarasenko? I still, I, I still think the answer to this though is Ky- not Cairo. Sorry, is Vladdy. This feels like one of those where Vladdy. Not only is he going to have to come out and prove it, it looks like to start the year with the Blues, then he's going to be dealt somewhere else, and then he's really going to want to show everybody that he's healthy, show the Blues that they were wrong, and just kind of go on this little revenge tour. So. I'll say that it's probably Vladimir Tarasenko. I just don't know if Kairou's going to... He may not reach 30-goal potential in his career. I don't know if he'll get there this year. I still think he's another year away before we start seeing, really, the ceiling for uh, Jordan Kairou. Your daily hit of sitting on the fence with BK and Ferrario. Oh, you're going to sit I, on the fence? I think it depends. Because I think if Kairou can play with a center consistently and not be juggled around, I think he could get to 30. How many did Kairou have last year? 15, I believe. Oh, he... 15, but it was a 56-game schedule. So, I mean, you add 30 more games, you're probably talking 22, 23 goals. But again, if I know that Jordan Cairo is going to be playing on the right side with Braden Shen the entire season, I would put him up for 30 goals. I, I just don't know with Vladdy. I don't know if Vladdy's going to be a man that's hungry to be traded and he's going to go out there and put the lights out like crazy. Or if Vladdy's going to be the guy that he has been in the past and want more than what he's given, and thus the performance isn't up to the level that you expect. And is the shoulder healthy? So I would actually, I think I would say Jordan Cairo, if I know the scenario, meant that he was playing with the same guy for the entire season. It's questions and answers. Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, Jim Duquette, MLB analyst for MLB Network Radio, and of course, a former Major League Baseball general manager. He's going to join us next here on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario, no BK today. He'll be back on Monday. Had some things, personal stuff he had to get done this weekend. Efforting Jim Duquette, the former Major League Baseball general manager, so he should be with us momentarily. Of course, you got the Cardinals and Padres in action this weekend. The celebration of the 2011 World Series champions, that will be on Saturday. And wouldn't you know it, Adam Wainwright will be pitching in that game. Um, 
we will have Jason Mott coming up at about 1230 with us today. And at one o'clock, we got Tony Gwynn Jr., of course, the San Diego Padres former outfielder and current analyst. So he'll be coming on to give a little preview of this Padres series. Padres and Cardinals get set to uh, go at it this weekend. Uh, tonight, 715 first pitch. Miles Michaelis on the mound against Vince Velasquez, as you heard on T-Bone's uh, Sports Center update last fantastic hour. Sports Center update, uh, I wouldn't say fantastic, but it's okay. Although I can't really say much. I had a mental breakdown a couple of uh, couple of minutes ago. Uh, Velasquez picked up off of waivers because things just keep getting worse for the Padres. Blake Snell's the one that was put on the injured list, correct? Correct. Snell placed on the injured list uh, early this week. I mean, man, they have just been destroyed by injuries when it comes to the guys that they had at the beginning of the season. You knew Clevenger wasn't going to be pitching for them this season, but just guys dropping after dropping after dropping Tatis Jr. But again, the Padres have won two in a row. So Velazquez and Michaelis tonight, 7-15 first pitch. You got Wayne Owen Darvish uh, tomorrow and then Sunday afternoon. It's to be determined for the uh, the uh, Cardinals. It's Expected to be Jay Happ, but you got Jake Arrieta going on the other side for the Padres. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line now. Welcome in former Major League Baseball general manager, current analyst for MLB Network Radio. He is Jim Ducap. Jim, thank you so much for hopping on with us this afternoon. How are you, sir? What's going on? How are you guys? Doing fantastic. Well, let's just start with this wild card because a couple of months ago when yeah. we talked, uh, it seemed like the Cardinals, there was no chance they were getting into the playoffs in a wild card game. And lo and behold, they have a series this weekend that could technically solidify it for them. I'll tell you what, it's, you know, at this time of the year, you're in it. Um, it doesn't matter how you got here. It's how you finish, right? And they're finishing, finishing really strong. I, I just saw them this past series against the Mets, the way the Cardinals play, the way they're swinging the bat, the way they're pitching, the defense. Like, it's all kind of coming together all at once, you know. And as, as much as there's been a struggle to this point and some inconsistency, that's what basically the wild card teams outside of right now where the Dodgers are, the, everyone vying for that second wild card, just inconsistency with, with all those teams, you know. So, um, I think you know, right now it's you know, the team playing the best and and playing the most consistently, and I, you got to stack the Cardinals up there with with all of them. Padres have been very inconsistent, Phillies too, and you know Mets are below 500. You can't even you can't even talk about that, you know, at this point. So you know the Cardinals did a good job of uh, of knocking them out, and who knows what they might do with San Diego too. Jim, with that being said, and you seeing them in person uh, against the New York Mets, did they seem like a different ball club to you? Definitely. Well, it, you know, it's funny because I always, I've always felt they've been a good defensive team. But what stood out to me now is the offense is like, you know, I mean, they, they pounded the Mets. You know, the Mets pitching, uh, even though you know, the ground's been out, their pitching's been pretty good over the course of the season. And they, they did a nice job offensively. They're swinging the bats well. They looks like, they, you know, they've, the lineups kind of come into its own. It's, you know, O'Neal's season in general and how he, how he swung it there. Goldie, the second, I, I don't know if I came out with you, I think, you know, one of the keys for their second half, I thought was going to be Goldie and he's delivered. The guy's been, the guy's been on fire the last two months. So like, you know, and Arenado has been consistently good. Right. So I think that there's a real threat with, with the middle of that lineup and, you know, the whether it's Edmund on a given night or Carlson or you know who, whoever Sosa I think is really solidified. Um, you know the, the shortstop position. I give Mike Schultz a lot of credit for for putting him in there and playing him more often because that, that was the right call. But it's hard. You know, sometimes it's easier said than done when you have a veteran 
like the young, you know? So I think all of those things have, have, you know, it's, you know, I think their pitching is getting a little healthier. Obviously the acquisitions have been way better than we thought with, um, you know, happen Lester. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of different factors. You well, you mentioned Sosa and moving to him as the starting shortstop. I, I think last time we had you on it was right before the trade deadline, and we were talking at that time about you know Paul DeYoung and his struggles, and the, with yeah. the deep shortstop free agent class, could the Cardinals go make a splash in that? Now Sosa in sixty five games has been really well and solidified that spot. How, do you think it's possible the Cardinals maybe just look at him as maybe the everyday shortstop heading into next year, or do you still think they should probably go look at this deep free agent shortstop market? I, you know what, I think with the way the Cardinals inconsistent offense has been over the years, the one good way and one true way to be able to upgrade their lineup is at the shortstop position. Now, um, if they don't do it there and there's going to be a lot of competition for it, they got to do it somewhere, right? You can do it maybe potentially in the outfield. Um, although the way the outfield's played this year, maybe, maybe, you know, the, the corners are going to be fine and, you know, you, Bader, you know, you're going to obviously love his defense somewhere, somewhere on the field. They have to upgrade offensively as well as defensively. And I feel like even if you had kept Sosa and I don't know if he's the best long-term solution, but I do know that, you know, they, I think the Cardinals would have, you know, the inside track on one of those guys, one of those shortstops. So any, any of them would fit. Um, I'd love to see Simeon get that opportunity there in the St. Louis, uh, that to me, you know, Correa, there's some really good ones that are going to be expensive. But um, I personally, when I look at the club, I go, yeah, that, that's the spot that they could really upgrade, um, you know, both offensively and still stay solid defensively and keep, you know, keep Sosa, obviously, because he's a younger, um, you know, controllable piece. And maybe he becomes a guy who can play multiple positions in the infield. Jim, from a front office perspective, how do you avoid falling into that trap of believing that he is the everyday shortstop for you? Because the Cardinals have have done this before, right? Aledmus Diaz, they right. thought that this was the everyday guy. Paul DeYoung, they thought was the everyday guy. Mm-hmm. How do you avoid doing that if you're a general manager? Well, I, here's the thing. You know, everyone kind of looks at it and says, oh, they've got the answer. And I don't know if I have, you know, I don't know if, I have the answer. I'm giving you my opinion from, right. from afar. You know, I don't see them on a, on a regular basis, but um, like you, you kind of look at that history first off and, you know, there was legitimate reasons for them to think that you've got a, a homegrown shortstop, you know, and it didn't work. It doesn't mean that the next decision that they make isn't going to work, you know, either. So right. I think what you're trying to do is leave your options open. Right. And that's why, that's why, um, you know, going into it, I, I'd like to get some certainty. We, there's a, there's some really good ones that have a track record. And you got Sosa's not a bad fallback, but I want a little bit more certainty at that position, you know. And that's where, and, and again, looking at the way to to get more consistency with this offense moving forward and for the long term, there's not many places you can do that, right? I mean, you know, Edmund at second, you know, he's kind of leave these guys where they are right now. They're all pretty productive, and I'm not so sure I would go out. Maybe you go out and get a an outfielder, right? But you know, and Carlson moves to center field, but does that make Bader? You know the fourth outfielder. I think there's you know those two spots. Maybe potentially a corner guy because I don't think there's any good center fielders and shortstop. One of those spots they have to upgrade. I feel um, on the offensive front. And Jim, something that we get a lot from our text line here in St. Louis is about the certainty in the starting rotation heading into next year. And we've yep. talked about the shortstop market. 
you look at the Cardinals rotation next year, you've got Jack Flaherty. There's maybe a little bit of question marks. He's dealing with some injuries this year. Dakota Hudson coming off of Tommy John. Don't know what to expect from Miles Michaelis. Adam Wainwright's getting up there in age. Do you think the Cardinals maybe look at adding some depth or maybe go out and make a bit of a splash in free agency with the starting pitching? Or do you think maybe they kind of just stay put with what they have and maybe focus on the offense? The one thing they've been really good at is is uh, developing young pitching, right? And if you're going to go, which it sounded like um, they were going to take you know Reyes and put him in the rotation, um, I, I would be in favor of of, um, of doing that. And and you know going because it just seems like you know they you know because I'm I'm a huge believer in Flaherty. Obviously, you have to you know he has to stay healthy. We know that, but. Um, you know, he's obviously one of the top guys. Wainwright, I don't know when he's going to stop huh. stop pitching. I mean, this guy's incredible. Well, we don't either. The league. And so, yeah, I mean, right. I don't, I don't think anybody, I don't even know if he has the answer <laughs> to it. But, you know, I think, um, you know, when you, when you look at it, you know, you know they, they did a great job, at, you know, finding back end of the rotation guys to plug in. Uh, I thought it was striking just watching, uh, I was reading, I forget what article, it might have been Derek Gould's article where, you know, he's talking to Hap, you know, and, and, and Lester about how throwing to Yachty is a, is a huge advantage, and so you got that for another year. Like you can go out and go out and do something like this again, where you get a, you know, under the radar starter. So I feel like they they've done a great job of of plugging those guys in. So for me, I, I tend to save that money there in the rotation. You know, go with what they have and and uh, go with a lesser starter at the moment, and. Um, and then go out and find some offense. That, that's how I would look at it. But they, listen, they've also always been seemingly built on pitching too. So it wouldn't surprise me if you know we sat here in December and oh the Cardinals just struck a deal for you know one of the maybe not Robbie Ray, uh, but one of the other starting pitchers that's available out there. Final time, our final question that is for Jim Duquette, former Major League Baseball general manager, MLB analyst for MLB Network Radio. He's with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Jim, uh, we've seen a lot of fans frustrated from the ups and downs, the roller coaster of this season. A lot of fans have been frustrated with Mike Schilt this season. Lo and behold, they did scratch and claw and put themselves into a playoff position right now. What's your read just in terms of how things have been run this season for the Cardinals and kind of the ups and downs of the season for from the fan support. Well, uh, listen. The the I will say first. I've always feel like the Cardinals. The most most Cardinal fans are pretty pretty knowledgeable and pretty understanding. Uh, you know, there's they, they see what's going on, and I think when you look at the inconsistency, I mean, a lot of this stems from you know the shortened season last year coming into this year. You know, the injuries to Flaherty in particular, and you know, obviously. Uh, yeah, we talked about some of the offensive struggles, but the pitching, yeah, what, three-fifths or four-fifths of the rotation down at one point. Yeah, I, most, most teams can't overcome that, you know, and I think, you know, sometimes, you know, if I, I come in and I talk to you guys about, just give a little bit of, of perspective. Like if other teams lost four-fifths of the rotation, I, they wouldn't be sitting here today talking about uh, having the second wild card, you know, in their grasp while everything is under their control. And that's where the Cardinals are right now. So, you got to look at it from that side and say, you know, it's been overall pretty positive the way they've been able to hang in there. And, uh, you know, thankfully the, the second wild card itself is, is, uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of inconsistent uh, teams in the mix, but I, I'd ride this thing out because, um, you know, you don't get other fan bases don't get the same type of, of level of consistency that you get there in St. Louis with your teams. 
100% with you. Jim, we always appreciate the time, sir. Thank you so much for taking some time and hopping on with us this afternoon. Have a great weekend. We look forward to chatting with you, hopefully come playoff time. We'll talk you down the road, hopefully postseason-wise. Looking forward to it. There you go. Jim Duquette, former Major League Baseball general manager, MLB analyst for MLB Network Radio. And, of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Jim underscore Duquette. He had a couple of interesting points that I wanted to touch on there, T-Bone. One on Edmundo Sosa and the other on depth for next season. So let's get into that coming up in our next segment. Jason Mott's going to join us in about 15 minutes here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. More St. Louis sports talk with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Smart House Heating and Cooling on 101 ESPN. Yeah, I'd like to get some certainty. We there's a, there's some really good ones that have a track record, and you got Sosa is not a bad fallback, but I want a little bit more certainty at that position. That's the voice of Jim Duquette, former Major League Baseball general manager, who was just with us on BKM Ferrario. Ferrario, if you missed that interview, I highly recommend you go check it out because we got into the shortstop situation and Mundo Sosa, the pitching situation, and of course this wild card battle at the end of the season. You can get that on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com today after the show at 2 o'clock. So Duquette brings up an interesting point that we've talked a lot about, but I do think people are starting to see Edmundo Sosa T-Bone and say this guy might be the everyday shortstop for the Cardinals moving forward because he's given them exactly what you need we don't know if the offense can keep up but what we do know is that he can play Cardinals baseball I've always been on the side regardless of what Sosa has done you still need that big bat in your lineup because we talked about Dylan Carlson and Tommy Edmond a little bit ago they need to step up You wouldn't be talking about that if you had a Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, Javi Baez, Marcus Simeon in your lineup. And what Jim Duquette said there to me about certainty and about Sosa being a great fallback, I mean, I think that hits it on a tee because this offseason, Sosa can go on a Randy Orozarena run this postseason. A Babe Ruth run, T-Bone, that's right. That would be great. I said it. It's not going to change my opinion you got to go get a big-time bat. But with the certainty side of things, I like the idea of looking at Edmundo Sosa and you saying, you know what? You and Tommy Evan are going to compete for second base next season. If you build internal competition, uh, competition, it always seems to bring the best out of individuals. And we've seen that this year, right? Edmundo Sosa was a bench bat. And then Paul DeYoung struggles. And Sosa says, okay, this is my job now. And took it. If you go into next season and you go out there and you sign Corey Seager and say, look, Sosa, you're still a part of this team. You and Tommy Edmond are going to fight for second base. And then whoever struggles in that role, well, guess what? You're the super utility guy. And I think if Tommy Edmond doesn't get it, Tommy Edmond would be a perfect utility guy who can be the fourth outfielder or the fifth outfielder for you with Lars Nupar being back. He can play second base or shortstop if you need a day off. Sosa can play third base, second base, shortstop. That might be the best situation for the Cardinals and go the cheap option that Jim Duquette said on the pitching side. Yeah, and I understand the argument from people that have been texting in and been saying, well, they need to go add to the pitching because there's a lot of question marks with this pitching staff. BK brought up the stat uh, yesterday where Adam Wainwright's thrown like 190 innings and there's like a 90-inning differential between him and this guy that's right behind him for second place. So there's a lot of big question marks in the starting pitching 
But I'm with you. To me, I want to go get a guy that has more experience, that I know what he is. And when I when I say that, I'm not taking a shot at Edmundo Sosa. He's only started 65 games for the Cardinals. He's been really good as a starter. He's really struggled off the bench when you look at his splits. I'm with you. I would like to go see you solidify that shortstop position. He uh, Jim Duquette mentioned he liked Marcus Simeon. I really like Corey Seager, get that left-handed bat that can play shortstop. And now he does have some health concerns that come with him, but that's why Edmundo Sosa is kind of that fallback guy. And then you can have him maybe play second base. You can have Edmund kind of do the utility, as you mentioned. Or maybe you like, I personally still like Tommy Edmund as the second baseman because he's really good defensively. So I look into him as maybe having a little bit of an edge on Sosa. And then don't forget, you've got Nolan Gorman. Right. And you've got the DH spot coming up. And, well, we think it's going to happen. <laughs> we all know that we'd rather have pitchers We know Major hitting. League Baseball, though. The, that, that, too. So that's all going to play. There's three guys that are really – you're looking at second base, and you've got Gorman, Sosa, and uh, Tommy Edmond. There's that internal competition you're talking about. But, again, I, I just think you have to solidify the shortstop market. If there was only one shortstop on the market, let's just say it was – Trevor Story, let's say he was the only guy that was a free agent, he was the top-tier shortstop, then maybe I would say, okay, maybe you turn to Edmundo Sosa. But you look, there's five guys that you think you could look at as starting caliber shortstops that you have at least some sort of a track record and you know what they are. I, I think you have to dip into it, and I think it'd be a mistake if you don't. Look, we got a lot of texts on the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780 from the 314. Okay, what about that? Get a top-name shortstop, move Sosa to second base, Edmund being the utility guy, but if the cards do that, they can't get a top pitcher or Nick Castellanos. Look, I, I understand you want Nick Castellanos because he's been great this year, and he's got that you know intensity that matches his Cardinals team. BK, put it in your head. BK basically just kind of tinfoiled you on that one but look like if if you're telling me I can have Corey Seager or Nick Castellanos I'm going Corey Seager because my defense in the outfield has been so good and Tyler O'Neill has taken the turn Dylan Carlson you expect to take the turn Harrison Bader is a perfectly capable eight or nine hole hitter I, I want a shortstop who can hit and I understand, you know, we talked, I forgot who we chatted with. It was a national analyst about Corey Seager last week. And they said, the one thing that concerns me about Seager is I don't know if he can be a shortstop for the length of an eight-year contract. That's fine, because if I have Edmundo Sosa and Tommy Edmond, who I know by year eight, they're going to be a lot more expensive if they continue this pace. But then you got guys in the minor leagues. Corey Seager can switch to second base. And then you have your shortstop there. The bat is the most important thing, in my opinion. And so many people, another one from the 314, need to sign Robbie Ray type of guy, number one. I'm a little surprised they think Robbie Ray is a number one. But oh, come play off. He might win the AL Cy Young. Really? Have you seen his numbers? I've seen his numbers, but I don't know if I would consider t- him Toronto's number one. Oh, yeah. Definitely. He's been really good. Well, regardless, is it come playoff time, you got to throw your best three pitchers. I understand that. And the numbers that BK threw out there in terms of pitching and innings. And I don't want to use the injury excuse, but again, Jack Flaherty, the injuries, if he's healthy for next year, he's going to be right up there. Miles Michaelis is going to be up there, like it or not. Dakota Hudson is going to be up there. If if I have money on the books, I think the bat is the more important thing rather than going out there and getting a top-level starting pitcher because I don't know how many of those guys are going to be out there. Yeah, I'm with you. And the other thing, too, to kind of keep an eye or keep in mind, too, is you know, you're talking about, well, go out and get a Robbie Ray. Well, Look at some of the big contracts you've handed out. Miles Michaelis was not a top-tier starting pitcher contract, and we already see what's going on with his contract. He's basically missed two full seasons. Do you really want to hand out a big contract to a guy like a Robbie Ray, who in the past has dealt with some shoulder injuries? Not this year. He's been healthy and been really good. But 
do you really want to hand out a big contract to a pitcher who could just deal with one arm injury that lingers on throughout the length of, let's say, a five-year contract? Or do you want to try giving it to someone that's on, let's say, eight-year deal to Corey Seager? Sure, he has some health issues in his past, but position players, you're not as concerned about the health normally as you are with a pitcher. Because yeah. pitchers usually fall apart a lot quicker than a position player does. Yeah, keep sending the text messages to Air Comfort Service text line 65780. And you know what? Mic drops. Send them to the Rhino Shield mic drops on the 101 ESPN app. I Okay, so I first read this one text. Is it the one that says we're morons? Because yes, we are. It only said one of you is. So. It's got to be you. But the one that I read was 314, Rondone and Seeger. My first thought was, yeah, Jose Rondone. No, I, I think they meant Carlos. I don't think they're talking Jose Rondone. Yeah, Carlos makes more sense. We'll get more into that as we continue to move along here this afternoon. But we got a break because we got the World Series champion, the former Cardinals closer, Jason Mott, celebrating the 10-year anniversary this weekend. He joins us next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario. Live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Still gives you goosebumps when you hear it. Of course, the voice of Joe Buck there calling game number seven Cardinals beating the Rangers for the World Series in 2011. And that is going to be celebrated the 10 year anniversary this weekend at Bush Stadium as the Cardinals take on the San Diego Padres in their playoff push. And now we head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to reminisce about the 10 year anniversary and welcome in former Cardinals closer World Series champion, one of my favorites, Jason Mott. Jason, it's great to talk with you today. How are you man i'm doing awesome thank you all very much for having me on well definitely we're excited to chat with you now be honest when that ball was hit to the outfield in game seven the final one you on the mound were you a little worried craig was gonna miss it no i, I hey man we we <laughs> hey we knew we had it the whole time you know he, you know we uh we, we, we joked around a couple weeks ago uh, a couple months ago we were out in a charity event up here with kyle mcclellan and uh it was me lance berkman whatever and we someone asked that and we're like never a doubt we're like never a doubt, you know, uh, which which we didn't like. Said he caught it, and uh, it all ended up it all ended up well. So uh, it's all uh, it's all good. You know what's so interesting about that team in that season, Jason? I mean, there were times where things, of course, you know, everybody goes through struggles through a 162 game schedule. But once the playoffs began, I don't think anybody that was a Cardinals fan watching that team ever felt worried that something was going to go wrong because that's just the chemistry. I mean, it felt like it was destined to happen, didn't it? Uh, you know, it, uh, I mean, it did happen. So I guess it was destined to happen. Uh, I, I, I guess looking back, you can always say that, but, uh, you know, it was just one of those things that, you know, with, with that team, we were, we were out of it, you know, not out of, it, we were 10 and a half out of the wild card in August. Uh, and you know, it was just one of those things that we just went out there and we were like, you know what, we're going to, we're going to give it all we got every single game. And, uh, you know, once we made the playoffs, um, you know, I feel like that sometimes when people try to, you know, maybe tense up, tighten up, do too much, but we were kind of in the playoffs the whole month of, you know, September, you know what I mean? We kind of, we kind of had to win. We kind of had to go to get to where we wanted to be. So, you know, once we got in those situations, we were just sitting there and, um, you know, go out there and play in the game that we, 
that we knew and trusted ourselves and went out there we were able to uh, win some ball games. When did it feel like, Jason, that that this team was headed to the playoffs? And I know obviously it came down to the end of the season, but I mean they were they were going. You guys were going on a roll there in September. We talked with Mitchell Boggs yesterday, and he talked about that Philadelphia Phillies series where uh, you know it just started to feel like things were clicking. I mean, was there a moment for you that still sticks out to you? You know, for me, honestly, and I've said this before, like, uh, I don't know. I, I remember some things. I don't remember some things. Uh, it must've been after I got tackled. I may have, you know, <laughs> forgotten some of the things, but, uh, you know, it's like, you know, for me, I've always des- de- described it as, I feel like I was like in the middle of like this, like whirlwind, this like tornado and everything like that. And I feel like it was just like, you know, put to the foot, foot to the pedal, like the whole time, like, Hey, let's go, 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 go. And then, you know, once it was over, we could, you know, for me, I felt like it could let off, but, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I felt like we were kind of put to the pedal, like all the way to the floor, you know, the whole time, uh, in my opinion. And, you know, I, you kind of see things going our way a little bit, but even with that, like down the stretch in, uh, in September, um, I really didn't look too much at other people, uh, and what they were doing because, you know, just because, Hey, you know, the Braves lost sweet. Well, we still have to win. You know what I mean? Or, Hey, so-and-so won. Oh gosh, we really have to win today. It's like, no, we're going to go out there today and we're going to try to win because that's, that's kind of what you have to do. Uh, you know, so I, it, it was one of those things for me, like that. I felt like we were, I was in the middle of all of it, just kind of like running around like crazy um, and just trying to take care of what I could take care of. And maybe, heck, maybe I just don't, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm not that observant <laughs> about things. Uh, but cause like I said, I've talked to other guys. I've talked to Lance Berkman and, 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 and like I said, Bogsy and guys like that. And like, they recall details on details of a lot of things. I was like, man, I was trying to go out there and throw a baseball, try to get some outs, slap hands, and let's go out and do it again tomorrow. Uh, and, that was that, that was kind of my mindset. And I feel like that you have to have that mindset in the closers role, right, Jason? I mean, like you, you've gone through that grind of the season, and people talk about it so much about like how much mental intensity has to go into a season, especially in big time moments when you're a closer. So you might pretty much have to black things out throughout that postseason series. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I mean, you know, game six is a perfect example. Uh, you know what I mean? Go out there, freeze, hits the triple to tie us up in the ninth. I go back out in the tenth, decide to let up a, you know, two-run home run, you know, to Josh Hamilton. I'm out there, I'm like, man. Like, I literally thought on the mound, I'm like, well, this stinks. And I was like, I just lost the World Series. But then in saying that, I was like, you know what? I'm like, all right, well, I got one out. I better get these next two outs or it's going to be a whole lot uglier. And kind of turn the page, like, all right, who's in there? Let's go make my pitch, do my thing. I was able to get out of that inning. And then, um, you know, Scalzo, Jay Berkman with the hit, Jake Westbrook comes in the next inning, throws a shutout inning, and then Freeze hits the walk-off, you know, and then we're able to go to a game seven. And then same thing in game seven, went out there and we took the lead. And, you know, I was able to go out there and, you know, get three outs. But like I said, I kind of always took things, you know, one game at a time, one pitch at a time because, you know, I was halfway joked that, you know, I wasn't, you know, heck, I had a, had a pitch and a half on a good day, you know? So, you know, I always joke like, Hey, I, I wasn't really that good anyway. I feel like I just got through it and did my thing. Uh, but you know, like, like I said, I just kind of took things one, one, one pitch at a time and, and try to handle my business that way. Jason, I'm curious, you get the call from the bullpen in game seven in the top of the ninth and your team's up six to two. What's that jog out to the mound? I mean, you're running to the mound getting ready to get the final three outs is your mind racing about I'm just three outs away. Is it just, is it one of those where you just all of a sudden, wait a minute, I'm at the mound here. You just don't remember running out there. And what was that experience like? So, um, you know, I mentioned before, I felt like I was like, you know, in the middle of a whirlwind, a hurricane, a tornado. I was just sitting in the middle and I feel like I really didn't get a chance to like look around and like take things in. Uh, but I feel like game six happened and it was crazy between, like I said, the triple, the home run I gave up, 
like the ups and downs, and then we tied it again in the up of the up, up of that, and then the, the walk off, and you know, so like all these ups and downs. Game seven was really the only time that I feel like in all of this, in all of not this, and all of that, that I took time to kind of take things in. So, um, like I said, you, you can see in the video if there's World Series videos, like me walking down the ramp, and it's really one of the only times that I kind of like look around at at this at the stands, like at, at the fans. Uh, because usually I was just so locked in, um, just going to do what I do. I had my routine, but like I kind of walked down the ramp and like looked around and kind of remembering thinking, I was like, man, that's pretty cool. You know, like, like, like it's cool. And then I walked out the gate. Once I walked out the gate, I did my, did my thing with my hat. And, you know, the police officer out there, uh, said a couple, couple lovely words about what I should do out there. So I was like, yes, sir. You know, I won't repeat those, but, uh, he's like, Hey, go get him, champ. Something like that. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I jogged on out there and, um, you know, was like, so once I was out there, I was, I was kind of locked in on just, you know, what I had to do. And that was make my pitches and get out. Um, I really didn't think about much of it. Um, you know, while I was out there, like I said, just try to lock it in and, and do my job out there. We got a couple more minutes with uh, World Series champion and former Cardinals closer Jason Mott, who's with us here on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. You know, Jason, it's one thing to be able to celebrate a 10-year anniversary, you know, with your for, with your group of teammates and guys that you haven't seen in a long time, but it also has to add to that excitement, right, where you're coming back to Bush Stadium where the Cardinals are in the thick of a playoff race for a wild card spot, much like you guys were in 10 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, seems uh, seems a little familiar. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, and and you know, I was I was talking to someone earlier. You know, it's one of those things. You know, they, you know, uh, someone asked, you know, hey, what do you think they have to do? I was like, win. Uh, you know, I mean, it's you know, it's uh, you know, it's, it's that simple. You know, I know those guys are going out there, and you know, they, they have a great group of guys. Um, you know, really good stinking ball players. So they're going out there and they're doing everything they can every single day, day in and day out to go out there and win ball games. But yeah, you know, you're right. It is, uh, it is kind of a familiar situation and you know, you're not, you're not out of it until, until you're out of it. Um, you know what I mean? And, and that was kind of the way we were, um, you know, people thought we were done, thought we were whatever in 11 in August and stuff like that. But like I said, you're not done until, until you're done. Uh, and you know, we, we kind of took that mindset and we're like, you know, Hey, we're going to go out there, give it everything we got and see what happens. Uh, and like I said, I'm sure the team's going out there, you know, given what they got and, you know, like I said, going to try to make that same run. And I hope they do. And I'm sure you're not surprised at all that your former teammates, Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, not only are still playing, but playing up to championship caliber players. I mean, I'm not surprised, but I am <laughs> good grief. I mean, Holy cow. Like, you know, when are these guys, are they ever going to be done? Uh, no, uh, you know, I mean, you know, those guys are, um, I mean, they're, they're great people, but they're really good, you know, baseball players as well, you know, and to see them go out there and do what, what they're doing on the baseball field right now. Uh, I mean, heck me, me, Yachty and Wayno are about the same age. I think Wayno's actually maybe a year older than I am. And he's feel like he's doing better now than he has, you know, ever, you know, maybe not ever. He's probably had a couple, you know, Cy Young ish years out there, but, uh, you know, he's, you know, you know, he, he's out there doing his thing. And, uh, you know, Yachty is, you know, Yachty's the best, uh, you know, what, what he does behind the plate, what, what he provides behind the plate, what he provides in that clubhouse at the plate uh, and stuff like that is, is, is unmatched. And then you got other guys out there with him that are, you know, pretty darn good ball players as well, as, as well. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to watch. Like I've seen those guys still going out there to do it. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Just a couple more questions for you, Mater, before we let you go uh, to enjoy this weekend. What's this going to be like for you when you get to walk in on Saturday and see all of these guys? I'm sure you talk with some of them, but others you probably haven't seen since 2011. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, like I said, I, I've 
we've kind of reached out to a couple of guys. Uh, we did a Zoom thing, whether it was last year or some other time during all this, uh, and kind of saw some guys on there and kind of talked to them. And like I said, I think the Zoom thing we did was was for like an hour. I'm like, dude, we could have sat on here for like three hours, four <laughs> hours, and just sit here and talk. The fans would have been like, this is amazing. You know what I mean? Just, just kind of, like I said, j- j- just to see the guys, talk to them. You know, like I said, some of the stories um, that, heck, you may remember, don't remember the details, and someone remembers something this way and this and that, and you're like, holy cow, that did, okay, that did happen, yep. And then, you know, you, and then it kind of jogs your memory about stuff. But, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Like I said, we had such a great a great group of guys. I think that's why we were able to do what we did that year. Obviously, we were decent at baseball, I believe. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, we, we had a good group of guys, man, that went out there. I mean, like they went from the, I mean, Carp is Carp. You got Yachty, you know, Albert, um, Lance Berkman's, you know, like I said, if you guys have talked to him, he's a, he's a beauty in itself. But yeah, like Gerald Laird and Nick Punto and Terrio and, you know, Ed John Chambers was, was, was there on that team. We had, you know, all the guys in the bullpen. We had, you know, John Jay, Descalzo, Craig, you know, we just had such a great group of guys. So like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm pretty pumped to see all of them and uh, just catch up. Well, in honor of the 10 year anniversary, I'm assuming you grew the beard back, correct? Oh, it's uh, it's pretty good. I have a couple more of what I like to call nature's highlights uh, in it, but uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's 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 alive and well. I told my wife the other day, I was like, I think I'm gonna shave it just so I can walk around St. Louis and no one would have you know any idea, you know who. But but hey, now now with all these masks and stuff, I can walk around with a mask and it's it's it's, it's kind of the same as me shaving it. So it's uh, you know, so uh, underneath my mask, I may I may have I may have a beard or I may not. Uh, but no, I do. It's uh, it's it's. It's uh, it's alive and well underneath there. I like to hear it. Well, Mater, before we let you go, man, I do have to ask because uh, one of my favorite foundations to keep track of is the Jason Mott Foundation. How are things going? Anything coming up that you'd like to pump up? Because you have done phenomenal work with this foundation for so long. Well, thank you. I mean, uh, you know, me, me, me and my wife have, have the Jason Mott Foundation just really to help those who are going going through, um, you know, battling cancer and letting them know they're not going through it alone. Uh, you know, we did our event here in St. Louis, uh, August 23rd. Uh, at, at Anheuser-Busch, and it was awesome. You know, we, we, it was the first time we were able to do it in like a year and a half, two years. We have our event coming up in uh, in Memphis, uh, October 23rd. Uh, same thing, we weren't able to do it last year because of everything. So, you know, we're excited to be able to do that again, uh, open our doors again, and like I said, not only raise raise awareness, but raise money for those in the fight. Um, and like I said, we have our, so have our K-Cancer shirt. Uh, like I said, you guys can go check us out on our website. It's jasonmottfoundation.org. You know a little bit more information on what we do, why we do it, but uh, you know we just we just want to help people the way that people helped uh, with my wife's grandfather and everything like that when he was going through his uh, his battle with cancer. Um, and really, like I said before, just let people know that that you're not in this fight alone and that people really do care. Yeah, well, I can tell you it holds a special place to my heart. My grandma, before she passed away with her battle with cancer, she she wore that shirt proudly. She was a huge Cardinals fan and saw you guys win the whole thing in 2011. So, man, keep up the great work with the foundation. Have fun this weekend. I'll be down there on Saturday. So looking forward to uh, getting a chat with you, and I'm sure you're looking forward to uh, getting to see your uh, your teammates. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great weekend. Awesome. There you go. Jason Mott, appreciate the time, him hopping on with us today. Of course, World Series champion, former Cardinals closer. And you can, of course, follow him on Twitter, Jason Mott, JMott30, and check out his foundation's work as well. Appreciate him hopping on and reminiscing, and I can't wait to see those guys uh, out there on Saturday. He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferraria. We are going to dive into the junk drawer next year on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario.
Appreciate Jason Mott hopping on with us. If you missed our chat with a World Series champion, former Cards Closer, you can check it out the podcast after the show today at 2 o'clock, 101ESPN.com. It's 12.55, your time check presented by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Tony Gwynn Jr., Padres radio broadcaster, is going to join us in our next segment. But first, let's dive into the junk drawer. T-Bone, what do you got? All right, so we've all seen Jurassic Park, or maybe you're like me and seen Jurassic World, so we know that, you know... What does that mean? You've not seen Jurassic Park? You've only seen I Jurassic have, World? Jurassic World, I think, is a little bit better. Oh, my God. Anyway, You're one of those guys. Ooh, the sequel's always better than the original. I don't know how much of a fan I am of, like, you know, I don't even know how you'd call this cloning DNA to where we could bring back extinct animals, mm-hmm. but apparently there's a group of scientists, and they are in hoping to bring back the holy mammoths, to Siberia, and they have been the giving... what? Holy? Wool? Oh, woolly. You don't know what a woolly mammoth no, is? No, sorry. When I looked at this, when I looked at this, for some reason I added an H. They could be holy too. We don't know. I mean, they might be. Judge. They're probably holy to some individuals, but, but I just, you don't even know what a woolly mammoth is. This group is getting $15 million in private funding to try and bring back the woolly mammoths. The holy mammoth. Or holy mammoths to Siberia. So, they're, so they're Siberian scientists, correct? Are they like U.S. scientists that are trying to bring them back and put them in Siberia? I think if I read correctly, they are scientists that are from Texas and they're in Siberia. See, this is the part that I'm just... Yeah, they they carry out experiments in their labs of their own in Boston and Dallas. Like, I get it. Congrats. That's cool if you're able to do this and bring back historic... Are we sure we want to do that at all, though? Uh, that, is it worth $15 million? Like, what That's is the, not my number one concern. What is the benefit of a holy mammoth? Wooly. Oh, sorry. Wooly mammoth. What is the benefit? I don't know. And, and there is start, no uh, benefit. That's what I'm talking about. Mike and Ryder, our executive producer, Mike Ryder, just looked at me as if there's like a big He's not listening to you. It. I know. I don't think he is. But the way he looked at me. And <laughs> Someone texted me. Did contact. you say holy mammoth like the Lord's mammoth? Yes, sir. Uh, I, I mean, did. they might be holy to Siberians. Yeah, $15 million. That's the number one thing you take away from this is the money? Yeah. What's the number one thing you take away from this, other than the fact that you called them holy mammoths? Why the hell are we trying to bring them back? Well, that's what I'm saying. And why is it worth $15 million? Can we spend that $15 million elsewhere? Probably. And if we're going to bring back something, can we bring back something a little cooler than a holy mammoth? Like a holy dinosaur? No, we saw how that played out, remember? An entire island went on there. Yeah, maybe. Oh, no, we should bring back Hmm. the doo-doo or dodo. Dodo bird. Doo doo something very different. Doo doo so is what I took bird. care of this morning with my daughter. So, okay, then let's take care of the dodo. Let's bring back the dodo bird. Why not bring back a saber tooth tiger? Am I right? Let's go out there and see what we can do. Do we really want to bring those no, back? You too? don't want to bring back anything. Let's just keep it off of that. Really? Yeah, I'm out on this. Holy mammoth, woolly mammoth, $15 million. I'm with you, though. $15 million does seem like a lot. And this apparently, this group of scientists have also tried to do other things and they've raised through private funding, I believe it was close to a trillion dollars in other experiments. And guess what? I haven't seen them bring anything back yet. Someone said, don't you dare take the holy mammoth's name in vain, T-Bone. I'm sorry. And I don't blame you for that I'm sorry. So speaking of $15 million, how about this? Would you you accept, would you take a punch from a UFC fighter for $15? Yeah. Really? $15 million? No, no. $15. No, no, you said million. No, I said 15. So speaking of 15 million, went to 15. Well, somebody did that in Florida. They tried to break into a car at a UFC gym's parking lot. Don't understand that circumstance. Trying to break into that individual's car, and the guy said that it was like, I don't know, $15, $20 in change that was in there. But he basically broke into a car, and then it was an actual professional UFC fighter who, uh, well, let's just say, punished his face 
after trying to break into his car. For five, for $15? For $15. Well, for? I mean, I guess he was thinking it might be more, or maybe he was just trying to steal the car. I'm not sure. But uh, I don't, there's no way, shape, or form that I would walk into a UFC gym parking lot and say, I'm going to try and break into one of these cars. Yeah, maybe, maybe like a, I don't know, an ice cream factory. I don't even know if I'd break into just like a normal gym. I wouldn't have the gonads to break into a vehicle. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, me yeah, neither. No, yeah. no way going to happen. Well, that's Tanner Hendrickson and his holy mammoth. I'm Alex Ferrario. Tony Gwynn Jr., Padres broadcaster and former Padre himself. He's going to join us next on BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. No BK today. Personal day for him. He'll be back with us in studio on Monday. Cardinals getting set for a big weekend series against the San Diego Padres. Big series for the Padres as well. It's both teams fighting for that wild card spot. Right now, the Cardinals sit a half game up on San Diego, headed into tonight's matchup. It's Vince Velasquez on the mound against Miles Michaelis for the Cardinals. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line once again and welcome in former San Diego Padre himself, now current Padres radio broadcaster. He is Tony Gwynn Jr. Tony, it's great to talk with you, man. How are you today? I'm doing well, Robbie. How about you guys? We're doing fantastic. Thanks so much for taking some time and hopping on with us. Let's just start with San Diego season, Tony. What has happened with this team? Because I think everybody's favorite in the NL West to start this season. And has it been injuries? Has it just been struggles that have just taken a toll on this team? It's been a culmination of, of all of that. Um, expectations, injuries. Uh, guys have all really, almost simultaneously at once got cold for about a month. And that's led us to where we are, a big three-game series going up against the Cardinals. And um, they've won the last two games. And, and to be quite frank, before those last two wins, it looked pretty bleak. I mean, the Padres had lost five in a row. The offense was non-existent. And, you know, the bullpen has been taxed because of the injury. So uh, they get the two wins against a good Giants ball club, and they come into this Cardinals series with a little bit of confidence, at least offensively. And, Tony, these these teams have kind of flipped from when they went cold. The Cardinals had that rough month of June, and now the Padres are having this rough month here in September. We we talked about it back in June with the Cardinals, what the feeling was around the team. And, you know, we kept getting vibes from the team, whether it be Mike Schilt or the players saying, we still feel pretty positive. We still we still have time. What's the vibes with the San Diego Padres? Because they're running out of time, and like you mentioned, they're kind of going through this cold streak. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> the players, at least publicly, have seemed like they were um, they they they've been pretty confident the whole times in terms of uh, when they were losing those games and the way they were losing them. But uh, you know, outward confidence and, and what actually is going on could be two different things and. Um, I, I, I think after the last two nights, they, they feel like a different ball club. And that's the, that's the crazy part about baseball is you could have a June like the Cardinals had. You could have an August like the Padres had. And in one game, one at bat, that can flip around. And so I think the Padres, from their standpoint, are hopeful. In a vacuum, clearly, Cardinals are playing some of the best baseball in, in the league right now. Padres on the opposite side of that. But – when you look at their overall numbers, these two teams are almost identical offensively. 
Tony Gwynn, former Padres outfielder and current radio analyst for the San Diego Padres, is with us here on BK and Ferrario. Tony, what's the part that surprises you more? Because when I look at the numbers in hole for San Diego, you know, you look at the run scored sitting at 663, which is around average in the National League. I think that's what gets me more than the runs allowed because the defense has still been pretty good. The pitching, of course, has struggled. But I think everyone expected this offense to just be a powerhouse like the Dodgers have been. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting you bring up the Dodgers because when the Padres have had success, that's what the offensive looked like. It looks like a a, a cohesive grind, starting pitchers down to dust, and eventually break it open. And that's what you saw early from the Padres. I think the difference between the Padres and the Dodgers, the Dodgers have been doing that for like the last eight years. Mm-hmm. They've, they've, mastered, they've mastered that ability to be able to spoil pitches, and they can sustain it. The Padres, it's still relatively new for them. This is a team that took a big jump in that 2020 season offensively, and they're still, you know, they're still developing that identity. So I think that's been a part of it. I also think something that's not talked about a lot is the Padres benefited greatly from having a DH in that lineup last year. And I think that set the expectation uh, to what this offense would look like this year. Only there was no DH and it, it does mess with the continuity, the length of that lineup, at least for the Padres, the way their roster was set up uh, without that DH. So they've had the kind of their offense all year long has really been uh, a mixed bag. It, it's been inconsistent at best. And, they're just hoping that they get hot. They've been saying it all year. We just need a, a one time to get hot. They're hoping that time has, has taken place over these last two games that they can sustain it the rest of the season. Tony, does that side of the game, the offense for the Padres, does it, does it feel like to the players or maybe from your perspective that there's just too many mouths to feed in terms of offensive opportunities? No, I, you know, I think it, it's more so trying to, as I said, master that, that game plan. I think there are times in the game of baseball in general, where you get a couple guys hot, you get a couple guys cold. I just think this year they've had that bad luck to where everybody got cold at the same time. Fernando uh, Tatis has pretty much been Fernando all year. He's an MVP candidate for, for a reason. Machado has pretty much been that guy all year long. You look at his numbers, it's about what his career aligns with. So those two guys have done their part. They've been productive, but uh, when it gets to this time of the year, you need those two guys to, to be playing at a, at a at an extreme high, high clip. And, you know, I think for the most part, the supporting cast has just been inconsistent, and that's really been the surprising part. Tony, you mentioned Fernando Tatis Jr., and throughout your career, you've seen a lot of incredible players. Heck, even when you were younger or now in your broadcast day, you've seen yeah. a lot of phenomenal players. But has anybody matched the level of what you are seeing on a consistent basis of Tatis Jr.? At his age, no. Um, I think that's where the separator is. He's only 22. And to be quite frank, as, as good of a year as he's had, he's not even close to, to really getting to the ceiling that he can, can get. This is a guy that I think is still honing in his strike zone. He's, he's so good at times, it almost seems like he tries to force things that, that don't need to happen uh, at the plate. Uh, when he takes his walk, that's when you see the four hits, the five hit games, because uh, he forces pitchers to come to him. And, you know, he has had spurts where he's done it and he's had spurts where it's, it's almost like he gets bored. He tries to make it happen. And I think as he gets older, he'll realize he, he can put more pressure on those pitchers by forcing them in the zone because 
he's I think he, if I'm not mistaken, he's him and Machado are the uh, at the top of the leaderboard in terms of hardest hit baseball. So when you are in the zone and he gets a swing off, it generally doesn't bode well for offense. He's just he just has so many elements to his game that are exciting, not only for a team but from a spectating standpoint. Uh, I think that's what puts him in, in a class almost by himself. Tony, I asked you earlier what the feeling was around the Padres and, and kind of with them in their locker room, but what's the feeling with the fan base? Because there were high expectations, as you mentioned earlier, coming into the year with this young talent and this offensive group, and then they went out and added additions in Blake Snell, you Darvish, Joe Musgrove, and now they're sitting out. Just They're only half a game back of the second wild card, but they have a very tough schedule coming up for the rest of the stretch of this regular season. What's kind of the feeling yeah. around the fan base towards this team? Oh, complete panic. <laughs> complete, <laughs> utter panic uh, with the fan base. And listen, with with those type of moves comes great expectation. And so the fans who, who are normally pretty reserved here have been turned up to a whole nother level. And they want this team in the playoffs. And it will be um, a lot of noise if they don't end up in the playoffs. So um, it, it's a fan base that has, has raised their expectation. And, you know, because of the way the month of August and the start of September looked, uh, it is, it's complete panic here right now. So <laughs> the last two games have been uh, well-received and, and needed, not only for the Padres, but almost as importantly for their fan base. Tony, you've been through postseason runs before as a player, a part of a team. Can you feel as a roster the panic from the fan base, and does that affect your game at all? Um, I think you can. I, listen, I was in Milwaukee in, in 08. Uh, we were leading that division for a while. We lost the division. Then we were leading the wild card by a good large amount. And that started to creep. Uh, it started to close. And uh, at that time, the Brewers made a decision to move on from Ned Yost. We were able to get the train back on track. But that period of time where I think it was like the beginning of September to about the 15th, um, it felt like we would never win a game again. And the pressure that the, the fan base had, because at that time, 1982 was the last playoff appearance. So they wanted it probably more as much as we did. So um, you can certainly feel it, but as a, as a professional, it's your job to kind of block that out. And I think for the most part, as professionals, we're, we're able to do that. But when the game ends, you definitely notice it. There's no doubt. Final one for Tony Gwynn Jr., uh, Padres radio broadcaster who's with us here on BK and Ferrario. Tony, we here in St. Louis, of course, with this wild card race, we've talked internally as fans, you know, would you prefer taking on the Dodgers in a one-game series and then the Giants in a five-game if you get past that or flip those options? From the Padres' perspective, you've seen both of these teams a lot this season. Who do you feel like the better matchup for a path to the NLDS would be for a team? I mean, listen, I have a whole lot of respect for the Giants and the year they have had. Gabe Kapler has been, in my mind, I think the manager of the year. Um, they just have done a terrific job, and they play the game uh, the right way. However, I don't care who's facing either one of those teams. The matchup is the Giants. The Dodgers are deep. Uh, they've been there before. There's no rattle there. Um, in a one-game playoff, would you rather have Max Scherzer or, or Kevin Gosman? I mean, both having terrific years, but I, I'd rather face Gosman than, than Scherzer, and that's no disrespect to, to, to Gosman because he's, he's, he's dealt against the Padres on three different occasions this year. But 
I take my chances with, with him as opposed to Max Scherzer. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, Tony. Hey, man, it has been awesome to talk with you today. Thank you so much for taking some time this afternoon. Uh, enjoy this weekend series, and we look forward to talking again down the road. Thank you guys for having me. Have a good day. There you go. That's Tony Gwynn Jr., former Major League Baseball player, outfielder for the Padres for two years, of course, played in Milwaukee and the Dodgers as well, and now currently uh, the Padres radio broadcaster uh, analyst on the broadcast side. Tony Gwynn joining us. Appreciate him. And if you missed any of that, you can check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. Sounds like Tony's on the same page as Ferrario. Ferrario got confused. He's on the same page as Tebow. That is actually correct because I've been saying... No, because I said you can't take on Max Scherzer in a one-game series. I swear yesterday you said you'd take on no, the Giants. No, you take on the—no, you want the Giants in the NLDS because that's a path to the NLCS. If you take on the Giants in the wild card, you're going to face the Dodgers. But look, it's a five-game series. You can take those opportunities. If you want to get to the NLDS, you can't take on Max Scherzer and the Dodgers. Now, if they set it up correctly to where Scherzer's not playing that game and they say, no, we feel comfortable with Walker Bueller in our wild card game because Scherzer's going to get game one, then sure, I'll take on the Dodgers in a one card game. And I understand, you know, you can't pick your opponent. You just got to get what card is dealt to you. And that's going to be the player's mindset. But man, if I want to get to the NLDS, the only path, in my opinion, is to take on Kevin Gossman and the San Francisco Giants. You mean take on the Dodgers? No, because I want to take the Dodgers on in the NLDS. Damn it, T-Bone. You're Check the, the one tape. that's confused. You're confusing yourself. I'm not drinking here on a Friday afternoon. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. Coming up in 15 minutes. It's our favorite day of the week. One's got to go. So get your texts and scenarios into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Coming up next, I know we're going to have fun on this one. Does this Cardinals coaching staff deserve more, deserve more credit than what we are giving them by getting back into the playoff picture. Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Rhino Shield mic drops on the 101 ESPN app. We'll get back to that next here on 101 ESPN. Back to BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Smart House Heating and Cooling on 101 ESPN. You know, I think I think Mike's done a good job. You know, there's a couple times where the team was, uh, you know, maybe a couple games under 500. They were hanging around 500. It looked like it go, could go a certain way, and, and, and they turned it around. I'm, I'm sure Mike has had some choice words at times in the clubhouse to motivate some people, but uh, he's always presented a very positive vibe to the press and to the fans and, uh, you know, to just how great the ball club can be and uh, how good they're playing right now. So I, I think you got to give him a lot of credit. That's the voice of Jim Riggleman, former Mets manager who was on with us here on BK and Ferrario yesterday. He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. No BK today. He'll be back with us on Monday. But Jim, of course, an old school manager. He's been in the league, what was it, 13 years he's been a manager. Been around baseball his entire life. Came up in the Cardinals organization. He he can tell kind of from the outside looking in when things are going well and things aren't going well. And again, this is one person's opinion. I know everybody has their opinion when it comes to the management staff. But I do think that, and look, as much as I personally have joked around about Mike Schilt, you know, not being as aggressive, talking about the scratching and clawing, I do think there's credit that should be given to this management staff for what they have done with this team. Listen to some of these numbers that uh, that T-Bone put together. First half winning percentage for this team, 489. Second half winning percentage for this team, 582. 
Cardinals offensive numbers. If you're going to talk about Jeff Albert, the bat, you got to talk about Tim and the good first half. You had the 26th batting average, 28th on base percentage, 26th logging percentage and 26th OPS. The second half has been the sixth best average, seventh best on base percentage, 10th best slug percentage, 10th best OPS. Talk about the pitching staff, the injuries, the bullpen, Mike Maddox's impact. Cardinal starters in the first half had the 15th worst ERA, the worst in Major League Baseball walk percentage. That has grown. That's the most impressive one in terms of starters, T-Bone. It's gone from worst in Major League Baseball to 14th best in Major League Baseball. And then in the uh, the reliever role, walks very similar. Worst in Major League Baseball, eighth in walk percentage in the second half. So, Again, am I saying that they're the sole reason that this team has turned That's it around? What I heard. That is not what you heard. Wow. Just like you didn't hear when I compared uh, Perunovic to Kale McCarr, didn't happen. Wait, I have the re- no. You altered that. that, that. You altered the that audio. That, I what I am saying though is that Mike Schilt, Mike Maddox, Jeff Albert, the coaching staff, they have done a very decent job in terms of keeping this team's mindset focused on the goal, even when they were ten games out and it felt like it wasn't going to happen. He kept the metal or the pedal to the metal, and regardless if teams stunk around him, still found ways to get into the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think you have to give them some credit because, and I think we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Think of how many really tough losses that this team has had, where they've had just that really bad inning. Whether it was Cabrera's in Pittsburgh, or Reyes gets roughed up in the ninth. Some we've had what ten maybe losses where it's like yeah, ninety percent win probability. And the fact that the team always seemed to come back and bounce back from that. And in that quote that we had from Jim Riggleman coming out of the break where he said, there were a couple times they fell a couple games below 500, but they never fell off the table. They were able to stick around that mark, and now they're kind of pushing up past that 500 mark. So I think credit has to be given to Mike Schill. I think there does need to be a little bit of credit given to Jeff Albert and the numbers that we're seeing from the offense. I understand a lot of people are going to say, well, maybe he quit listening <laughs> Everyone's to Everyone's texting and saying first half was Jeff Albert's way, second half was their own way. But I, I disagree with that. I think there have been adjustments made by the hitting coach and the players combined. I'm not saying that one did something and while the other did not. So I, I think there has to be some credit handed out there. And the other one for me is, I know it's going to be looked at as, well, John Mosaic's the one that fixed the pitching. I think Mike Maddox deserves a lot of credit because let's not forget when Luis Garcia first got here, he wasn't this electric as he is now. Let's not forget... J.J. McFarlane was the same. He struggled when he first got McFarlane here. McFarlane, too. Justin Miller was kind of the same way. Uh, uh, he also has continued to struggle. That was a bad example by me. <laughs> but Luis Garcia really struggled. Remember, he had that outing against the Cubs where he gave up the three runs. Now, granted, part of that, not his fault. But BK came on the airways and said, why is this guy on the roster? I think Mike Maddox has helped Luis Garcia find where he was back in, I think it was like 2016 when he was really good for the Phillies. I think Mike Maddox deserves some credit. Jay Happ had the wor- legitimately the worst ERA among qualified starters in the American League. He comes over here to St. Louis. Sure, he benefits from being with guys like an Adam Wainwright, with the John Lester, but he also benefits with the defense. He also benefits from having Mike Maddox, who maybe he saw something and was able to help him adjust. So we don't we don't have the inside track to know all of what the coaching staff has decided to do, whether these little uh, – little, I don't even know what you'd call it, little tinkers with someone's delivery or in their batting stance. But I, I think 
they are get they need to get some credit because I think they have played a big role in this. Yeah, and I know a lot of people don't agree. I mean, we're getting called morons here saying that. And look, I understand. A lot of people have not been happy with Mike Schilt. A lot of people have not been happy with Jeff Albert overall. We talked about this earlier this week, T-Bone, just in terms of the Jeff Albert and the success that you're seeing from Tyler O'Neill and Edmundo Sosa and how it actually gives you a little bit of optimism, I guess, to say the least, for some of the guys in the minors because they've been tearing it up as well. Because, look, John Mozeliak has said Jeff Albert isn't just working with the majors. He's working with the entire organization. Everyone's calling for Juan Yepes to get called up. Well, unfortunately, that's a little bit of Jeff Albert's ingredients for success there. But, again, I think more of the credit than anything goes to Mike Schilt. And, again, I understand it's been the scratching and clawing, joking around, and him being always optimistic, right? you got to reap what you sow, and we're going to celebrate the successes for Matt Carpenter. It's all about a bountiful harvest. It's always about a bountiful harvest. I understand that. But at the end of the day, which I'm sounding like John Mozalock right now, he's the one that has to keep the mindset focused on the players. And Jim Riggleman talked about this yesterday. And if you want to check it out, go listen to it on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. But he talked about how usually when things are going poorly, the manager's not going into the clubhouse and trying to get a rally speech. But what he is doing is he's picking his moments when to walk into a clubhouse when things seem down or when players seem out of it. And he's talking to them. We don't know. We're not in the clubhouse. But what we go off of is what we hear in the postgame conversations. And he is always optimistic. We've shot him down for that, right? Because in the middle of a four-game losing streak and Mike's talking about how tough of a game they played, we're like, what are you talking about? He didn't score a run. But that positivity might be part of the reason why this team has found success moving forward. And I think that's the number one thing that really irks the fan base is we're still getting a lot of text in from everybody on the Air Comfort Service text line of, well, management's got to go. Well, I think part of the reason people have become so frustrated with Mike Schilt and this coaching staff is because of that positivity, as you mentioned. During the rough month of June, people expected Mike Schilt to go on the onto the podium and say, well, this guy needs to start hitting better, that guy has to play better, this guy has to pitch better. Instead, he's stuck with the positivity, and he's taken out some of the small bits of, all right, we may have lost 14-4, to four, but you know what? Cody Whitley had a really good inning or two. Mm-hmm. You need that from a manager. You need to be able to find some of the positives because if you just start weighing on the negatives and start getting in guys' faces, it's going to wear them down, and I don't think you're going to get anything good out of it. That's not the way you manage in baseball today. So for how hard we have been on Schilt in the past for that positivity – I think he does deserve a lot of credit for getting this thing kind of turned around so far in the second half. From the three one four, that's not your job. Schilt to BK, understandably so. I think this is a good one, though. Schilt's okay, but I scratch my head with the use of the bullpen in some lineups, and I do think that is the biggest thing, and that's one that I would say. The bullpen usage has been a little bit of a question mark, but as Mike Schilt told BK, that's not our job. Let's go to the Rhino Shield mic drops. I believe we have Ben with a mic drop, T-Bone. The coaching staff definitely deserves some of the credit because they've had to make the moves that needed to be made. Like, they took Reyes out of the closing spot when he wasn't pitching well. They started playing Sosa a lot more because he was playing better. But in the end, I think it's our players that have stepped up, the guys that we needed to step up. Like, Goldschmidt has been the best player on the team. Aronado's been playing a lot better. O'Neill and Bader have both exceeded expectations this year. I think that's the biggest reason that we're seeing the success that we are right now. Uh, and T-Bone, you made a really good point uh, in the first hour during a commercial break talking about Yadier Molina. And, and we we joked around in that Dodgers series about you resting Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. What the heck are you doing? This is an important series. But I think the Yadi example that you gave me actually paints a perfect picture of why they deserve credit. Yeah, you know, you look at Yadi's numbers now, and I was when we were getting ready to do the segment today where we talked about, you know, you really need a little bit more from Edmund and Carlson to get that one through six really solid heading into the postseason. 
Yadier Molina, you look at his numbers. I was shocked when I found his numbers last night when I was digging through it. Yadi, uh, so far in the month of September, 286, three homers, nine RBIs. So we're starting to see that pop come back from Yadi. Remember, there had been a point where he hadn't had an extra base hit, and I think it was a month or something. And I think part of the reason we're seeing more out of this from Yadi is I think it's because he is getting rest just about once a game every series. Because I think it was about that August point where we started seeing Kisner getting one game. He usually got those uh, travel day starts. And I think that's really benefited Yadier Molina. So that's a tough move for the manager to say, Yadi, we need to start resting you. I mean, we, we love you. You're great behind the plate. But if you just get a game off every series or every other series, we think it's going to help you long term. And we're seeing Yadier Molina starting to hit the ball a lot better, as I I, I believe to be kind of a process from what came from them earlier and giving him those off days. Yeah, it's a great point, and you need him fresh, and frankly, he has been fresh in these last few games. Go look at what he did against the New York Mets from the 6-1-8. Can we give credit to Mo too? Got Lester and Happ, and we all laughed at him for it. Does deserve a lot of credit. The one holdup I would say, though, is if, man, if you could have done that in June, we might be talking about a little different of a scenario than being only a half game up on the San Diego Padres. That's why we gave him a B-plus and a sticker. That's, I think I gave him a C, but I don't remember in that one. He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. We will get to our ones got to go coming up next. Send yours over to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Also, how about this? We got some blues news. <gasps> Stick around. We'll hit on that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. You heard Tanner Hendrickson mention in his Sports Center update that was the Blues news that they have brought in two players to professional tryout contracts. We'll get to one's got to go coming up momentarily. So send yours to the Air Comfort Service text on at 65780. James Neal, former Pittsburgh Penguin, uh, Stanley Cup champion with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and last season played with the Edmonton Oilers. I believe it was 10 points, five goals, and five assists in 30 something games with Edmonton. So he'll be coming to St. Louis along with Michael Froelich, who played last year with Montreal. Eight games at the NHL didn't get a point but a right winger kind of grinding fourth line player James Neal power forward and a lot of this isn't that they're going to get signed by the Blues some of this too is that they're just trying to get a contract in the NHL and they figure this is their best opportunity to do so but as Tebow mentioned Mike Hoffman did the same thing and of course he signed that contract for the one-year deal so something to keep an eye on with training camp opening up next week all right I'm getting my James Neal jersey today what number you don't know what number he wears. Uh, 37. No, no. That was you a good don't try, know though. either. At 18, I know. Really? I'm, What's hockey knowledge, wear? man? Huh? What, for a leak? 67, I believe. You don't know. Go ahead, check that one out. All right, time to get the ones got to go, as we do every Friday here on 101 ESPN. If you have scenarios, you send them our way, and we'll tell you which one has to go. This isn't the right music for it, T-Bone. It's not? No. No, oh. right, we're not going to worry about it. I don't remember what one we used. <laughs> that's what, happens when, to Vegas, that's what happens when you go to Vegas for a weekend. All right, let's start with this one. One's got to go. Cardinals postseason roster edition. Oh. Matt Carpenter, Paul DeYoung, Ponce de Leon. Matt Carpenter. Same again. Matt Carpenter. Ponce de Leon. Ponce de Leon. Paul DeYoung. Paul DeYoung. Uh, I think it's going to be Ponce de Leon. 
I mean, you don't really need a long reliever in the playoffs. And plus, you got Jack. Well, we don't know about Jack Flaherty. We'll know probably more about him today, I would suspect. Dakota Hudson has his final rehab start today. If he everything goes well, it sounds like the Cardinals might have him ready for the Cubs series, if I'm not mistaken. So I think I'll say Daniel Ponce de Leon. I just don't know if he's going to have a role for a playoff roster. He's he's a long reliever. You don't really need those in the playoffs. Yeah, that's where I'm at, too, especially with Dakota Hudson and Jack Flaherty possibly coming back to this roster. If they're on the postseason roster, you would imagine one of those guys are going to take over for Daniel Ponce de Leon. Unfortunately for Ponce, it's just been a tough road for him in terms of consistency, trying to stay in the lineup. But when you got all these pitchers that are performing well, you just don't really know what Ponce's role is. And we all know Carpenter and Paul DeYoung's role are going to be off of the bench. And also, I say you don't need a long reliever, but you're going to get one. And by what I mean by that is somebody in your rotation is going to slide into the bullpen more right. than more than likely. Some teams don't do that, but normally you carry just four or you go with four starters in the playoffs and you bump that fifth guy down to your bullpen. One's got to go from the three, one, four winter, spring or fall. One's got to go T-Bone and we're about to head into the best season. So don't get rid of fall winter, spring or fall. Yeah. Uh, that's a tough one. I enjoy winter because I enjoy snow and I love Christmas music. Already started listening, by the way. Get the hell out of here. You're not re- listening to Christmas music yeah. already. I was. Yeah, I was listening to it last night when I was getting stuff what ready. What is wrong with you, man? Great stuff. Little Frank Sinatra, White Christmas. Uh, fall, fall, you got football. Spring, you got baseball. I think I'm going to get rid of spring. Because, you know, it's kind of one of those where 60's cold in the spring, but 60 in the fall feels really nice because you're used to it being hot. So I think I'll get rid of spring. Yeah, if summer was on here, summer would have been the one that went immediately. Um, Not true. No, it would have because I'm just, I don't, I like, I like warm weather, but I don't like this warm weather. Can't handle the warm in your old age. <laughs> Whatever it may be considered. Uh, I think I'm going to get rid of the springtime here as well. Probably would have gotten rid of winter, but you're getting rid of hockey season, which I love me some hockey season. Just don't like the cold when it comes to not being Christmas time. But the spring part is like you never get spring. It's literally just winter slash summer. It's one or the other with that one. And really, winter, it it's great if you get snow, but... It really stinks when you don't get snow and it's like Christmas. Someone said you're an interesting subject, T-Bone. I'm assuming they're talking about the Christmas music. That and also probably me going from Frank Sinatra Christmas music to listening to Jay-Z and then back to uh, Baby Come Back. I didn't get into that one with you, Will, when you brought up the Jay-Z New York song, but it's fine. It was a good choice. No, we're not doing that. One's got to go. Hamburger edition. Steak and Shake, Wendy's, White Castle. So I'm assuming we're going fast food. Oh, I thought there was Burger edition. Oh, maybe not. Steak and Shake, uh, Wendy's, White Castle. I really do enjoy Steak and Shakes. I don't know if I've really had many Wendy's burgers. I, I think I'm going to get rid of White Castle. I don't mind the White Castle burger, but it's kind of one of those late night occasions. So I, I think I'll get rid of the White Castle burger. Yeah. I don't mind the Wendy's burger, and I don't mind Steak and Shake. It shakes. used to be the Wendy's when they put mayonnaise on them, but they Ugh. stopped putting mayonnaise on them, so it's not Wendy's anymore. Yeah, I think I'll go White Castle here. The good part about White Castle is they're so tiny, you can have so many of them and not feel as full true but when it comes to burgers if i'm gonna get by the way never have a white castle eating contest did it once worst experience how many not because the burgers weren't good how many were you able to take care of Uh, i think i got 10 down i don't remember what did we do i think you did 10 minutes the worst part of it too because my grandma didn't want us doing it inside we had to go outside and it was winter and it was like 30 degrees and we did it so my like eighth burger was freezing cold we used to do competitions in high school where we would go to cc's pizza you know the buffet pizza and we would all try and see who could have the most plates 
You had to have a minimum of three pieces of pizza on each plate, and whoever had the most plates eaten by the end of the night won like 20 bucks. There's a lot of throwing up in the parking lot because of all of that. A couple more to get to, and then we're going to cross things over with the fast lane. One's got to go sports celebration edition. Football, baseball, hockey. Oh, that's a good one. Baseball's gotten more interesting now because now you get some of the, like, the Padres that got the Grand Slam chain or whatever it's called. Uh, football. I love some of the football ones. Hockey's. I'm going to get rid of hockey, I think. Hockey, it's usually kind of generic. It's kind of, you kind of go into the boards, you hug your hug the boys, and then you go get some fist bumps. Six Selly with the boys. Yeah, six. That's not what he said either. Quit misquoting Bro Neal. I think I'll get rid of the hockey one. No, you're crazy with the hockey one. The hockey ones are great, man. Have you seen some of the ones that just go, like, over the top? Like, what's his face from the New York Rangers? He got in trouble for this, but he basically, like, took the hockey stick like he was shooting at the goaltender when he scored a goal. He, like, got into a fistfight after it, but it was still entertaining. I think the proper one here is the, the baseball. And I would have said football if they kept like the celebration thing where they penalized players out of it. But look, the bat flips are great. But man, you get some pretty gnarly celebrations when it comes to football and to hockey, especially in some big time moments. What are you smiling about, T-Bone? Text lines. Call me old and then they're misquoting me on my Christmas knowledge. What does that mean? Oh, White Christmas is by Bing Crosby, you pup. Uh, Tanner can't old man write. White Christmas is by Bing Crosby, not Sinatra. Do you All right. know anything? Let's do this one then, T-Bone. We'll wrap it up with this. One's got to go. Christmas singer edition, Elvis, Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, or the Carpenters? Who the heck are the Carpenters? <laughs> you made that one up. No, I didn't. Look up the Carpenters. Which one are, who do, what do they sing? Can you name one of their songs real quick? What, the Carpenters? Yeah. No, because they're they're the ones that have to go. I hate the Carpenters. They're the vocal Everything duo. about the Carpenters. I don't really know them, so I'll just, I'll make them stay for the case of it. You'll make them stay? Yeah. Oh, uh, let's see. Terrible. I, I think I would get rid of... Elvis is really good. I think I'd get rid of Frank Sinatra, oh, and that's a pretty tough one, because yikes. I think Ben Crosby's are really good. I hope Anthony Stalter's doing the crossover, because two Italians are going to take this into consideration. I don't think he is, because I talked to him yesterday during the crossover. Okay. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Always appreciate the text messages. We'll cross things over with the fast lane next year on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. over now at the fast lane jamie rivers the former superstar nhl defenseman is in with us getting you set for a little friday fast lane festivities yeah Riv dog what's up my man not much i'm just uh enjoying the friday the beautiful weather it's cooling down at night went to a great show last night chris stapleton over at the hollywood amphitheater i had never heard of chris stapleton old stapesy um (laughs) And I thought it was awesome. I yeah. thought it was a great time. So it's that time of year where the concerts outside are fun. You're not melting into a puddle while you're sitting there watching it. So no complaints, are man. You I'm one, in a great mood. Are you one of those guys that when you leave a concert where you haven't heard of him before, but you go and then you love it and you get in your car and you're like, now I'm going to listen to Chris Stapleton all the way home. Okay, so I didn't exactly do that, but I halfway through the show, I was like, 
Okay, so this is another one I've got to put on the on the mix for at the lake or yeah. you know summertime. So I thought about that, and I didn't like leave the venue or download the albums or anything like that. I don't really know the songs, <laughs> so I don't really know what I should be. Didn't even know who it was. Yeah, no, no idea. And apparently his wife sings with him. I was just like, yeah, this is great. Uh, but it was, it was awesome. It was fantastic. <laughs> I had a bunch of people from the office here and, and did yeah. different stations. They did a great job, uh, you know, being a part of that. Just a lot of fun. That's fantastic yeah. to hear. Well, also, what's fun is this uh, Fast Lane Rizzuto Show Pick'em Challenge. I know you fell down in the first week. Yeah. How are we doing after game one of week two? Uh, we're still on the ground. Are we? Yeah, we're still falling down. Um, uh, apparently, I, I don't understand how these these guys pick these games because obviously with Fitzmagic out, Washington, not a juggernaut of a team. No. You'd think that eh, more often than not, if you don't really know the team, probably going to err on the side of eh, the Giants. They don't, they're not missing their first string quarterback. Danny we'll Dimes, figure why not? No. Now, Rizzuto, I think there's only one of them that went with Washington or with uh, the Giants. Everybody else went with Washington. Huh. Who the hell goes with Washington? Why, you picked against a former Battlehawk. I did. That's true. I Riz. did. But I also, um, he, he hadn't won yet as a starter. He was 0 2, and I was like, eh, not sure he's going to have the time, one week preparation. You know, I think he did an amazing job, and Washington tried to hand the game back to the Giants. <laughs> Multiple at the end. times, actually. And the Giants were like, no, 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 hold my beer. Watch what we can do. We can go four downs, barely move the clock, and give you the ball back. How do, I, how do you jump offline? More so than anything, it was the interior defender jumping offline on the field goal. You're not going to make a difference in that wow. position. What's he doing? There? I didn't understand that at all. Did you see Saquon's face afterwards? No, I did not see that. Man, they they showed him on television. That looked like a man who was so ticked off that he came back or he came and played in that game because you know he was questioned if he was going to play with his knee situation. I'm assuming he grinded through it because he wanted to go one and one. He looked like man, I should have just sat out. Probably would have been better off. Probably. By the way, did you guys see Saquon Barkley doing his warm ups yesterday before the game started? Mm-hmm. ESPN was carrying. They're obviously discussing his status for the game and whatnot. Like, I thought I had big legs and a, and a booty. This guy has got, like, tree trunks. His calves are the size of my thighs. I'm watching him warm up. I'm like, oh, my God. Now, obviously, he's not a huge guy and the running back position. They've got to be built solid. But I was like, that guy is a serious, like, specimen. It's like tree trunks going on there. get run over by, like, a small Buick when he comes through there. <laughs> See, that seems like a normal conversation. We've talked about that before when it was Rivers and BK, right? Like, the rear end. You can tell they're hockey players if they got a big caboose. Robert Thomas is one of those guys. You know he's a hockey player. We were golfing this Why past weekend. Why did you pick weekend. him out, Alex? Well, because yeah, we've talked about, about Because he is built like a hockey player. Why? Tree trunks of legs. Yeah. Why him only, though? Well, I mean, a couple of other guys have them, too. But Is it because I, he wears the tighter jeans? You, the tighter hockey pants yeah. more than anything. Okay, cool. you got to be speed. We were out golfing a couple of weeks ago, and the blues there was a group of blues players that were golfing in front of us, and my cousin who was playing, he goes, oh, that's Robert Thomas. I go, no, it's not Robert Thomas. He goes, how do you know? I go, eh, you can tell. He just doesn't have the hockey belt, not the big caboose. Why don't you just come out with it? Just say it. Why are you been looking at his caboose? So that's much? right. You, well, he was golfing in front of us, and mm-hmm. you could just tell. You just said he wasn't. I'm just observant. What was that, T-Bone? You said he wasn't. You just said he wasn't. No, it was. Oh. I'm just observant of the hockey bill. Clearly you're observant. Very observant. start wearing a dress right I now. need to actually cross over things and get out of here because the fast lane's starting before this gets worse. Jamie, what do you guys got coming up today? Well, we got Matt Holiday coming up, which is usually our every Friday guy. He's part of our Pick'em Challenge fast lane team. We're hoping that he... Uh, he picked all of his games this week, but also special occasion because it's the 2011 reunion. Yep. 
So Matt Holiday and all the guys back in town doing a bunch of different events. So it's going to be fun to not only talk to Matt Holiday about the current Cardinals situation, but also the 2011 team. And, you know, we'll talk about football and the Pick'em Challenge and make sure that he understands how he's supposed to pick every single game and not just some of them. Uh, but, no, we got Matt Holiday. We're going to talk about the Cardinals situation, just, you know, continuing down the wild card path. And we're going to have a lot of fun. Going to get into the blues, I'm assuming, as well. The PTOs that were offered. Yeah, I find it interesting, but that's the new thing, right? Like, yeah. you you probably already have a contract to agreed upon with one or both of those guys. Doesn't mean they're going to get it. Right. But that means they come to, to town PTO, and, you know, if it goes well and they show well, then you usually hand them a contract. Now, where it gets dicey is, what will that contract yeah, right. look like? Because right now, you don't even have enough money to sign Robert Thomas, so for me, it was a little uh, of a weird situation for those players to sign that PTO, knowing that the team is up against it. Unless you're thinking to yourself, or you're James Neal or for a leak, you're like, you know what? I can beat out a Kyle Clifford. I can beat out a Mackenzie McEachern. I can beat out a uh, Zach Sanford. Yeah. Like if they're thinking that way, then that is an option. Kind of force the hand of Doug Armstrong to say, hey, I need to be on this team, and you make a move because of it. Yep, you could do that for sure. Well, looking forward to the show. Matt Holiday again coming up on the Fast Lane. Jamie Rivers, Anthony Stalter, BT, and more from 2 to 6. We'll be back with you on Monday here on 101 ESPN. Who that was? (laughs) Oh! Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited-time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. The Wendy's $3 breakfast deal is here. Get a bacon or sausage egg and Swiss croissant plus a small seasoned potatoes. That's a better breakfast for just three bucks in three easy steps. One, wake up. Two, get out of bed. And three, head to Wendy's for your $3 breakfast deal. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's $3 breakfast deal. Limited time only. Participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Select or request $3 breakfast deal in order to obtain discount. Not valid for all card or combos orders. Price and participation may vary in Alaska and Hawaii.